Hey guys, it's Scott Hepburn. I draw uh, Drax and Power Man and Iron Fist for Marvel, and this is uh, you're listening to Eleven O'clock Comics. <laughs> Clear sailing on that one. Right, right? How is that possible? We're all in a good place. We are. Respective places. Yeah, I mean, you know, we should all live together and record all the time. As soon as we get that thing off the ground that we've been trying to get off the ground, it can happen. I'd be the cleaning person. Daph would be the cooking person. Making them cookies and, and all the stuff he makes, and Jason would uh, pay for the house. Yeah, he'd be, he'd be making the money. <laughs> yeah, he'd be the partner. Sounds like my life now. There you right. go. I got nothing against that. That so, sounds like a sweet deal to me. Well, oh, I know. I, I I think I lose there because I go from getting to have make sweet sweet love to my beautiful wife to you two. You know, well, well you can get conjugal we'll visits. Come yeah, we'll come over and this way you can still get that going. On. Sounds oh, a I lot like it sounds right. a lot like prison, doesn't it? And this way, and this way, Vince can it does. Dude, can I watch? Right. <laughs> That's my Patreon. <laughs> Are we going to have a new kind of forbidden love because we're going to spend so much time together? Hey, nothing is beyond the realm of possibility. <laughs> wow. That's what I'm saying. This, this episode's off to a rocky start. Rocky? I call it beautiful. <laughs> you would. <laughs> oh, needed this. Yes, you did. Jason and I, we, we, we should have made a wager last night because... At some point in our conversation, we said, we don't hear from Vince, and he says everything right, and then come the night we record, I needed this. I need my brothers. It's been a hell of a week. I miss you guys. It's like, dude, we're here all the fucking time. I know that. I know that. I know you know Very that. Very true. Yeah. You're stubborn. Very bastard. true. St- I am not. Yeah, I am stubborn. Yeah, thank you. Don't even. Yeah, sure. no, I am. I was going to say. No, yeah. you're right. <laughs> I, one thing I am is honest. Like when I'm wrong or if there's something I detect in myself, I'll tell you about it and I'll be totally honest. I don't, I don't bullshit. I may speak in hyperbole and be outlandish sometimes, but mm-hmm. it's all the truth according to me. I just it's may, be, I just may be a little crazy. That's all. I I'm have some about. awesome yeah. news. You do? Five weeks from the moment our listeners are hearing this. We will be starting our road trip. That's insane. <laughs> oh, I cannot wait. Oh, I can't wait to start playing the Holiday Road song. It's going to be great. <laughs> you can't do it. And you know, if we do what we keep saying we're going to do before that five-week time, what kind of perfect bonus content would that be? Oh, amazing amount. Yes. At least 20 hours of bonus content. <laughs> oh, I don't know about that. Wait, we well, need to have some things in- don't ever get... Oh, absolutely! Yes, yes. Oh, but, it, I mean, it's be, not going to be. Not everything edited. on the road will make it, and but there are some things, you know, walking to the con and and you see, maybe that, not. To me, dying, to, to me, if if I was interested in bonus content and it was normal stuff like walking to the con, I'd be like, yeah, whatever. See, I want the dirt, the juice. I want the 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 stuff that nobody sees or hears. That to me is bonus because it's out of the norm. It's 
true, but it also invites those things tend to leak. Nah, you know what I'm saying? Like if we see a a, a yard sale or something on the side of the road, we pull over. Like that's cool because it's oh, it's oh, different. I get you, I get no, you. I don't mean like about talking about airing people. grievances. No, right? I, I have no grievances to air. Well, you say that now. I don't. No, there'll be plenty on the ride home. But yes, oh, there, maybe I know. Don't worry. It's yeah. I'm, everything is. It's it's going to be shits and giggles all the way there. The weekend is going to be outstanding. It's going to be a whirlwind and, adventure. Uh, it, it it's it's going to be. I mean, even with the um, unfortunate news that that Jason dropped on us over the weekend uh, earlier this week about two people who won't be there. Um. Oh. oh. And well, well, three with uh, who canceled? Jesus said five minutes after it was announced. But no, it's there. It, it's still going to be an absolute blast. And we know mo- the, the aside from the creators, we know they're going to be there. Uh, we know most of the friends who we've made over the years who are going to be there. And I cannot wait to see you know Cliff and Justin. And I, there's just there are dudes who. I really missed Heroes last year. As great as C2E2 was, I really, really missed going to Is Heroes. Is Hurley going to be there? Uh, I, I, I assume. I think so. Because Andy, I'm, I'm sorry, um, damn it, Jeremy usually is. Cool. So, I, yeah, Jason might be. Awesome. Can't wait to see him again. And you know what this is? Let's do the less the, of them, actually. I'm sorry. Right. Yeah, because he's, he's shedding pounds. Yeah. This is 11 O'Clock Comics, episode 472, and I'm Vince B. I'm right. You are Vince B. I am David A. Price. Indeed you are, and I'm bringing the truth on Tuesday because I'm James Comey. <laughs> <laughs> Don't let the door hit you on the way out. No, you're not. You're Get your popcorn ready. You're, yes. You're Jason Wood, everybody. We're all here. And uh, this episode is something a little special. Like Heroes, which will come in five weeks, we're going to go on a little road trip this week. It's a, a trip down Bronze Age memory lane, and we have read stuff exclusively from the Bronze Age. Now, we have some um, destinations planned out on the map, but I'm sure we'll be taking a lot of detours along the way. So you're going to join us. And uh, the fuel in our tank this episode has been given to us from the discount comic book service, dcbservice.com. Filled up our tank. Uh, the list of specials are up. I told you them last week. I'm going to reiterate them again until they are no more from Boom. It's the Clive. It's the Clive Barker Hellraiser Omnibus Trade Paperback Volume One of Two. It says here, it is a massive tome, five hundred pages, uh, written by Clive okay. Barker and various. Yeah, it's big. And the the, the uh, Boom Hellraiser stuff was actually good. So that's why I'm pimping this because I enjoyed it and I think you will too. Um, the cover price is thirty nine ninety nine. That's not bad for a five hundred page book, but DCB service price is nineteen dollars and ninety nine cents. Bargain fifty percent off. From Image, we have 
Um, I don't think it's arguably. It is definitely one of the most beautiful collections you will ever encounter. It's uh, from Rick Remender and artist Greg Tocchini. Dave McCaig's in there too. It's the Low Deluxe Hardcover Volume 1. $24.99. That's half off the cover price. And bringing up the rear, it's Mandrake the Magician. Poof! He's going to be uh, teleporting himself into your home should you decide to order this. It's called the Fred Fredericks Dailies Hardcover Volume 1. $50 cover price. Your price, because you went to dcbservice.com, is $27.49. That's the cheapness. 45% off. dcbservice.com. Do not mind late orders or order additions, and you get your books all shipped nice and secure right to your front door or back door, wherever your people deliver. But anyway, they are the absolute best. dcbservice.com. Love it. Yep. And I love what you're drinking, even though I don't know what it is. Well, all right. You know what? We know what you're drinking. Yeah. Already, even, so just let everybody else know. So let's start from the bottom. And now we're here. Yep. <laughs> I'm drinking the Diet Pepsi. Not even Peppy Mac, huh? No. <sighs> Diet Pepsi. It's all we had. And I got into my 32 waist jeans today. Wow, 30 deuce? Yep. <laughs> oh, Damn, 30 deuce? Yeah. Good for you. Love you, man. Oh, my God, you sexy bastard. I can't even imagine what it's going to be like in a month seeing you. <laughs> Unless I fall off the wagon. Nice. No, well, Give me that sticky bun. <laughs> wow, 30 <laughs> deuce. everything. Uh, what are you drinking, Jason? Well, I don't want to let you down, so I am drinking pink grapefruit seltzer player. Nice. Some it's there. pink. It's like, it's Can't have enough pink. You know what they say. Right now, I got I got two fingers in the hole, two in the stink. Oh no! <laughs> hey, I got, do I have to take that out? <laughs> no. Uh, no just no guess week. this week. That's correct. Uh, yeah. Bored. Which, by the way, is uh, directly correlated to Vince having pep in his step. <laughs> oh snap! No, this see, is like. He oh, no guest. Oh, it's off the hook, sir. No, Nick's going to think I hate him. It's not the case. I got to apologize for last week because I was extremely oh, tired. Who, apolog- who apologized? You did? We all did on, on your behalf. To whom? Everybody. Anybody who we could stop and talk to. PSA. Oh. We, did. we made a PSA. Oh, that's okay. Uh, like I said, I was extremely tired. I wasn't in my right frame of mind. At the time, I was not caught up on East of West. Um, which I am now, unfortunately, after the fact. That's the way I do things, right? Um, but so I was a little less talkative than usual, uh, for which I apologize. But Jason and David carried it magnificently. Thank you. It's about time you did some heavy lifting. Yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. I wanted to see how the other half lived. Right. Um, I am enjoying some... Gentleman's Collection, because it's an oxymoron for tonight. Uh, Red Blend, number two, um, from, uh, Lindemann. And it is, uh, it's, it's, it's not aged in bourbon barrels or anything like that this week. Say um, what? I know, I know. I just went with the Red Blend. It's nice. It's got a, uh, it's got a great finish. I'm really enjoying it. So, uh, that's what I'll be sipping on this evening. 
I like it. I had a few cocktails, though, in honor of David yesterday. Yeah. Well, not in honor of me. Well, true, more in honor of your, your lovely queen, who, by the way, for those listening, make sure if you are social media friends with with us, and you're listening to this on the day we put it out on Thursday, it is the lovely Mrs. Price's birthday. Yes, it is. Yeah, and we uh, we we got to um, hang out with uh, with Jason for a little while yesterday, that, but almost didn't though. Yeah, that was. I mean, we're not. It, this isn't a convention episode, so I'm not going to replay the entire day. Um, <laughs> although we got off the train, so we we um, he's like, we well, did, let me tell you about what time I arrived. <laughs> so this, and we rolled it. We um, then I gave Jason a kiss, and then we uh, no, no that he's was a thank you. Later, I think he's man. A thank you. He's, he's, thank you. He's, we do, and it's um. It was there were a few spots where they wanted to hit, uh, but one of the things we definitely wanted to do uh, was get up in to the Empire State Building, and for that I have to um, thank our brother Gil uh, from No Apologies Podcast, who is he's I mean he he works in the Empire State Building, and uh, and the fact that he was able to take some time out of his busy day to um, to meet us. And and uh, and kind of play play great host and and, and tour guide. Uh, it's always great seeing Gil. Uh, I'm bummed out. You know, we kind of really only see him uh, usually one weekend a year. But um, and again, it's stupid because we're all kind of in a 50 mile radius. But uh, we um, hung out with Gil for a little while and then um, did some more sightseeing and shopping and she wanted to hit the garment district and then uh, we headed up uh, down Park Avenue to dinner and um, everything was because uh, we were planning on meeting Jason before dinner for uh, some pre-dinner cocktails and we're all set and Renee and I are walking the almost mile to Hillstone on Park and uh, Jason sends me a text on, on our walk there. He's like, all right, dudes, I'm here. I'm at the bar. You can't miss me. I'm all the way in the back. We get there, and I'm looking around, and I'm like, I didn't spend all this money on LASIK to not see a dude. So I'm like going <laughs> all the tables and everything. I'm like, this dude ain't here. So I'm like, so you sh-, I'm like, did you step away from the bar or something? So I, I, te- I call him, and turns out that Hillstone has two locations. <laughs> and that other location where Jason was enjoying his drink. Chilling up on, on 3rd Avenue, son. So he's about 20 blocks away. So uh, we, we were all kind of bummed. But, uh, you know, I wasn't going to um, let that bring too much of a damper to dinner. So we, we uh, Renee and I have dinner. Everything's great. Uh, turns out, though, Jason really didn't want to leave the city um, without seeing her so we um we by the time we finished dinner jason had made it to our location and then uh we walked a block or so and uh just had some probably some of the tastiest starbucks i've had in a while and mm-hmm. uh company was awesome and we were just Laugh yeah like it was fun. oh it was fun it was a great time but yeah so so uh there's an early birthday celebration for Renee and now uh, we'll figure out what to do tomorrow but it was a uh, it was a really fun day had a blast and, and again thank you Gil and, and I'm glad I got to see you Jason 
Definitely, it was a it was a it was a nice little respite there. So sweet. show sweet. Mm-hmm. Now I have a thank you. I think you guys may have one as well. I do have a thank you. Yeah, uh, I think I do. I got a parcel in the mail from a that's redundant uh, from from the amazing Daniel White. Oh yeah. yes. He's, and what was? Hmm? Go ahead. He sent me a copy of the uh, uproariously titled "I Zint It." <laughs> and I'm going through this thing, and each page is uh, better than the next. But the one on which I frequently stop is that creature from the Black Lagoon. Of course, that is amazing. They're That's all right. so it's 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 easy to turn to, uh, but it is the it is shot. I love the yeah. um, no. They're all great. I mean, he's got Godzilla in here and uh, transform. Yeah, uh, the Gobots, and he's got Homer. It's just he's an, he's an amazing illustrator. But he also sent me, and I have an eensy teensy teeny weeny nit to pick with this. Uh oh. He also sent me, and here's where the nit comes in: the skateboard thing, mm-hmm. which is loaded with images and comics from extremely talented people like Jonathan Gordon. And mm-hmm. our buddy Robert Hefferman and Gordy's mm-hmm. in here, Cole Miller, uh, Bean, and of course Daniel White. And the thing has no title. There's, there's well, I do. Be- it's. I believe this is an ash can because there will be a color I, again. No, that that doesn't defend the fact that it put a title. Right, but it's um, just like give me a copy of that thing. Like there's there's no title on the on the cover. There is no title on the cover. Yeah, it's just You're absolutely. I'm just looking at it in, in terms of an art director. We're just like, if you got to sell something, it's got to have a name. You know, commerce. You need to put a name on something. So for this thing not to have a title, it's just like it's our podcast. Do you want like in in five years? I'm going to pull this out and look at it. And be like, oh, this was amazing. What was the title of this thing? Because there's, there's, there's no title on it. But that's just a small. I just want to see these guys like do. Extremely well to the to the nth degree. So, I would just have put a title on that. That's it. That's all I'm saying. But it's gorgeous and beautiful and loaded with great art. And I don't know how Jonathan Gordon does it, but again, I would love to eat his brain and suck his talent out. Yeah, and it's just it's just great stuff. Gordy's page is so much fun. Super. But anyway, that's just it. That's just my contribution to that. <laughs> whether you want it or not, bitches. So what else? Like Ric Flair said, whether you like it or not, learn to love it, baby. That's it. I just I got nothing but love for these people. Now, I was um that's one thing about not making it to C two E two this year was not being able to um get this from the guys there. Um and the fact that they had a uh couple left over to send us. Uh greatly appreciated. Yeah, um, that was awesome. I mean, I, I pretty much, I told Daniel when he comes up to uh, to visit uh, later this summer that he better have a copy of this for me, um, so I didn't have to wait. But I, I was really not expecting the the skateboarding anthology and and the fact that I have it. Um, I really feel like one of the cool kids. The, this is, I mean, it, there, there are certain things where we talk about it being a labor love, but this obviously is, and we know Cole. Especially with his son, um, 
skateboarding definitely uh, has a major part in his life. So it's it's uh, it's pretty cool to to see a love letter like this, and then having other people that uh, that we know some personally um, involved in it is is way cool. Yeah. So thank you from all of us. Indeed, because I I get to put words in their mouth. All right, we have a plan this week. This is this is our, wow. our an honest to god plan. This is our special Bronze Age episode, which I'm hoping we do on the regular because it was a lot of oh, fun. I mean, and there were a couple of years in that Bronze Age. See, I think there are a couple of titles here and there that we can uh, pull out and um, talk about. But I think what's really exciting about this is that this wasn't something that was announced on air to the plug. We have a tendency whenever we say we're going to do something. Yeah, we do. Uh, it tends to not come to fruition. So the fact that you kind of threw this out there to us, I think like early Friday morning, the day, the, the day after last week's episode came out, we were, um, and oh, well, no, because the episode was, oh, sorry, it was late, but it was, uh, yeah, during that day, you said, let's, uh, Let's do a Bronze Age episode, and I thought we were kind of just going to pick a issue. We, see, yeah, that was that was the initial idea was to pick an issue or two, right? right. Whatever. And Jason's like, "Oh, son, I want to read this. It's like fifteen issues." Like, okay, we'll read that. But then we trimmed that down a little bit because yeah. you know things were going yeah. on. But unfortunately, the thing that we read that Jason suggested doesn't start getting good. Until yeah. issue so we'll, nine. Well, then, then we'll leave it because I still want to. I, I want to continue it because um, I need it to get better. So I'll I'll eventually read the entire run. Yeah, but you, um, I think that's a little unfair. It's not really bad. No, it's no, just but it's it it starts firing really hard when the person that's immediately associated with this character comes on the book. And you know what? Let's stop beating around the bush. Let's just talk about this because Jason. Suggested we read Warlock issues one to fifteen. Uh, I did it first, yes, as you said. Yeah, and we pared it down to issues one to four. Yes. We did. Yeah, this is the book which was which greatly <laughs> greatly reduces the it, it does the, 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 the quality of the, uh, yeah. of the effort. The, yeah. the enjoyment factor of it is is strained at best in the four issues, but um, just to set the to paint the picture. This storyline, um, and the book is really called The Power of dot, 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 yes. Warlock, but everybody just knows it as Warlock. Um, and it's not really one series, it's actually two, because this storyline began in Marvel premiere number one. Yeah. It doesn't touch too much of the stuff that happened in the Fantastic Four and Thor, but uh, the this direction began in Marvel premiere number one, then... Because that was popular, they started a Warlock series, The Power of Warlock number one to eight. Then the book was canceled, and Jim Starlin comes aboard in Strange Tales, 178 to 181, and just like totally revamps and revitalizes the character. And then Starlin comes back to do The Power of Warlock number nine to 15, and the whole brouhaha is eventually finished in Avengers Annual number seven and Marvel two and one annual um what was it number two, right? 
Right, because I believe that is a there's an actual I saw it on Comicsology a Jim Starlin co- complete Warlock collection. It yeah. sounds like everything you just mentioned is in there. Yeah, but this I mean I didn't think this the the four issues that we read were extremely bad, but it's very heavy handed. They well, that's right. <laughs> heavy handed is right. Uh, probably. T- Typ- the best way to describe it is typical of the, the period. Yeah. Lots of exposition, hitting you over the head with telling you what's happening on the page, even though the artist is already showing you what's on the page. Right. Beautiful. And very corny, very corny, the, the, the interactions, the interpersonal interactions are just not natural in any way, shape, or form for yeah. the most part. Yeah, and it, which is odd coming from Roy Thomas. Right, so the first issue is written by Roy Thomas with Gil Kane art and Tom Sutton on inks with oh. Sam Rosen lettering. Ooh. Gil Kane and Tom Sutton, what a pair. Absolutely. Book looks good. It's it, it's it, No issues with how it looks, uh, including we're brought into the, I guess you could say the antagonist of the story is the High Evolutionary. Yes. Who has magically created, you gotta love it, the, the guy creates an entire alternate earth and then he's got a metal panel with two buttons on it, or two levers and one, one, and one lever is a self-destruct for the planet and the other one, uh, um, the other one, uh, uh, um, what's the other one do? I can't remember what the other one does. The other one does nothing because it's not, it's the not the destroy button. But, oh no no the, yeah the other one is the um, is the one that sends it out of sync with the other Earth right yeah see I I disagree I don't think the main antagonist is the High Evolutionary not in the first four issues well you're well, saying it's, it's Man Beast yeah right no that's true the 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 the, the arc starts with the Night of the Man Beast so yeah you're probably right but uh, the the one piece of the puzzle that you probably would have touched upon is the fact that the entire thing is a religious allegory. Mm-hmm. It's and it they, and Thomas slams you over the head with it. Right. Like you have a godlike being in the high evolutionary who decides to create an earth and make it a paradise and and because the 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 real earth is so corrupt and man has well human nature has won out on the, the original Earth and, you know, man versus man, they're, they're polluting the environment, tons of injustices going on, um, death and misery, and he's just like, all right, I'm just going to start over, make another Earth that's every bit like the original Earth, but I'm going to put it on the other side of the sun, let's see what happens. And the, the planet is, is given life, but the cool thing about it is that life on this Earth did not evolve as in the Marvel Universe. Like, Peter Parker died from the radioactive spider bite. And Tony Stark's heart was not the bad ticker it was on our Earth, so there's no Iron Man. Reed Richards and uh, Victor Von Doom are rivals, but they're not super-powered. So it, it, it evolved at a different rate, but everything else, I guess, happened as it should. You had, you know, Cain and Abel and, and, uh, so the high evolutionary looks at it and he's like, God damn, 
It's the same thing as the other planet. Like, what's going on? So he's like, I'm going to destroy it. And Warlock pleads with him, you know, don't do it because there's good in this earth. I can feel it. I'll bring it out. I'll show you. And that's the, the bond that... So Warlock is the Messiah figure. Man Beast is the fallen angel. Especially with his name. Yeah. So the... Which is cool because the High Evolutionary created the new men and they rose up from the muck and were thrown into this planet. And they're the corrupting influence in this planet. Like the Man Beast is the thing that's really instigating all this nastiness. Not that human beings aren't capable of that on their own. You just need somebody to blame. And the the man beast has delusions of he wants godhood as well. So I mean they they take the religious part of it and just keep slamming it every page. It's just oh um Warlock has followers. They they look to him for guidance and stuff and he he has a posse in other words, just like Jesus. <laughs> no, really, and it's. But they're a hippie posse. They are. No, they are. You're right. Uh, I, I I thought it was it was a lot of fun, but there there are some the dialogue especially like oh, what, what that one panel. I I want to read it. You guys talk about it. I'll get it. I'll bring it up. It's just it's cringeworthy. The um, some of. Uh uh, yeah, Roy Thomas kicks it off, but then um, Mike Friedrich comes in for the uh, issues three and four to kind of, I guess, um, clean up the the writing of the script. And then John Bushima, I want to say, fills in, but he comes in, uh, inked by Tom Sutton, for the second issue for Guild to return for three and four. What I found was that Adam is selectively clueless. He is. I, yes, he, definitely. He's extremely gullible at, at certain times. And then there are other times where he's just completely adamant and refuses to believe and, and thinks he's right. And it's just, it's, it's, I, you really can't get a read on a dude. There's just it, mad inconsistent. No, he's um, so easily manipulated. Oh, that he is too. Yes. Like without the, a doubt. The, the part the that. Whole, you, the, oh, I know what you're going to say because the, the, <laughs> the freaking, the fact that they show him, they show his friends getting bullied and nearly killed from an angry mob in the corner of an alley so that rather than get killed, they succumb to the pressure and bemoan Adam Warlock and speak ill of him. Lee's Warlock to get so butthurt that he proceeds to destroy the earth. Yeah. It's like really dumb. Wow. Man, talk about not having thick skin. <laughs> everything, everything is dramatic. There are no calm moments. And, and, and when everything is dramatic, nothing is dramatic. I can't, it's 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 very hard for me to read a story where every not, not only is everybody screaming at everybody because you can tell by the the word balloon shapes, but everything, whether it's just walking, just getting access to the base to watch the shuttle go off, that is so wrought with tension, and, and it's just like, can we just have? We just, just, just breathe. Just let's yeah. chill for a second and, and, but everything is just amped up beyond belief. I mean, even, even when you try to get political presidential nominee Rex Carpenter in on it, you know, and he's trying to like just <laughs> calm things down because for whatever reason, he's very, oh, people tell me I'm charismatic and it's like, well, there's just, a reason for that. 
which I'm sure I'll get to once yeah. I move past the show. Yeah. Uh, it, but it's, it's, I think no matter what I read on the page, I think what, what, what really bothers me is I, I want to see, cause I've seen a couple of issues, physical issues over the years, but I do not think the, uh, the recoloring in this edition, uh, did it any favors. And that's, but they screwed it, up. Usually, you know, the coloring, recoloring old work, it doesn't really bother me because that's not, it's, and, and I'm not trying to give colorists a short shrift because there are no colorists actually credited in the first four issues, but, right. uh, it, it's, there are, you know, if, if you want to recolor old issues of, you know, an old Superman or Batman comic, that, that's fine. I'm usually just reading the story anyway because it's either going to be a silly done in one or there, there's other things going on in the story. But, but the coloring here was especially on, on Kane's art. It's just, it's, it's a nuisance and, and very distracting overall. And, and generally I can kind of look beyond that because I just want to see the words and the pictures. But I, I, whatever reason, I couldn't do it this time. Yeah, I see. I, I love this color because it's flat. I love flat color. I like the flat. I just, I don't care for some of the coloring choices. Right. But see, when I said that they screwed up, if you notice, now I'd have to pull out my original issues to check, but Adam's soul gem is blue in this issue. Yep. The soul gem's not blue, it's green. So it's It's, it's just a little... Yeah, I'm zooming in. Mm -hmm. It's it's blue. It's It's blue. It could even... But the panel that I it just makes me scream whenever I read it. The uh, the the gang is walking down a street and they're they come into contact with a, a street preacher, a prophet, and right. he's revving the people up and he's like, you know, this world is doomed. And and this woman comes out of nowhere to talk to Adam Warlock. Excuse me. <laughs> She's got a star tattoo yeah. on on her. I thought it was a mall or birthmark. Well, yeah. it's it's a it's a facial thing that she's got next to her eye. It's a little star, and um, she she's like, I don't know what name you call yourself, but I know somehow that you're a good man and a mighty one. Maybe the fact that he's wearing a costume when no one else is tipped you <laughs> off. But it's like you must protect my brother. He's in danger and. Warlock says, "Danger from whom?" And this is the panel. I love this panel. <laughs> She points to the top of a building and there's a, there's a bad dude behind a chimney <laughs> peeking his head out. She says, from those who wait, look at them up there. They're only delaying until the setting of the sun and it sets. It sets. It's like, I can't see Roy Thomas sitting at the computer, or not the computer, whatever, the typewriter, thinking like, oh, this is going to slay. This is going to be a great <laughs> panel. It's just, it's just so funny. It said. It was. It was. <laughs> it's melodrama out the wahoo. Listen, I can confidently say, uh, with all peace and love, that I picked the worst of the three assignments. <laughs> oh, you know, I'm glad to hear that. Oh, so. I'm not. But I'm, I'm, it's it's yeah, ironic I, because it's visually the best of the all the assignments. I think. No, I don't think yeah, I, I, oh, I, 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 yeah, I think so. Wow. Okay. Gil, Gil Kane is hard to top, man. <laughs> Dude, you well, I think, I think, an argument okay. for me. But, uh, I, I think one of 
the other stories we read, I, I think as far as composition and storytelling, I think it, um, okay, I'll give, I'll give you layout and design. Yeah, it's better. But in terms, as far as drawing, in terms of sheer and, rendering, nah, nobody can touch Gokane. Yeah, I think, um, okay. Yeah, no, we'll, we'll, we'll definitely, um, agree on that. I, I guess, I mean, I'm, I'm with you on the flat color. I, I, I'm down with that. But they're just, like I said, some, all of a sudden, you know, these people are yellow, but their heads are red and the whole rest of the panel is just like orange or something. It's just, there's some, it's, it's just, it's completely odd. Um, we should compare. And, and I like the fact that, um, that he can, he'll, he'll suck in all the air before he goes underwater. But as soon as he gets encased in this gel that's hardened, he'll, he'll suffocate because at that, he just, but doesn't he, he, he doesn't survive in space on his own? I, I, I realize, you know, he doesn't, he's not in space at all in these four issues, but I would think of being like this, um, maybe suffocating wouldn't really be his downfall. I'm just yeah. I'm surprised that he. I, I just think it was another case of them still feeling the character out. Agreed. Agreed. I, I don't and, think and, they knew what to do with them exactly. Cause That's you why Starlin is Starlin, because he, yeah, he made the character cohesive with Gravitas mm-hmm. and the backstory. Exactly. Although, let's be real, the at the time I'm sure it was perfectly reasonable, but uh, for those that don't know Adam Warlock that well, he has an arch enemy who also happens to be his alter ego called the Magus. Mm-hmm. And the Magus, again, this is for our listeners that don't know, is essentially looks just like Warlock, only with a purplish gray hue to his costume and skin instead of the gold. And, and we see the Magus in issue nine when Starlin takes over and Magus has a gigantic fro. Yeah. It's hysterical. <laughs> it's straight seventies perm. Oh, that's it's great. hysterical. Now, see, that's the weird thing about this series. If you didn't know any better and you, you know, say you're on eBay and you see Warlock one to 15, Oh, I'm going to scoop this up and I'm buy it. And if you read it issue by issue, there is a gigantic gap between eight and nine. It's true, and I found yeah, I, I was with some of these in order to find copies for us all to read. We had to scour where we scoured, and uh, this was a package that, to, to as we've been discussing, just had a bunch of warlock issues. And it's it's not it's definitely not I it's not if we were if we had followed through to read all fifteen, it would have been suboptimal because we would have missed out. Or had to have seek, uh, sought out the other issues from the other stories that you mentioned. Right, right. And even the origin, like Fantastic Four 66 and 67, they're really not even the same character. Right. You know, it doesn't really get going until Marvel premiere. Mm-hmm. And then, and that's, not, and then not until Starlin gets his hands on it. He really the, made the character. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. yeah, yeah. No, yeah, you're not going to get... Um, any argument I don't think the uh, and that's what bummed me out a bit is when um, at no point as I'm reading the the first issue in this because um, that's when I asked you guys that this this definitely this this like Amazing Spider-Man from Amazing Fantasy number 15 I, this had to have started in one of their other Marvel one-off books and and like you said Marvel premiere but at no point when you're reading these early issues of Warlock that do you get any indication that you know 
before you read any further, make sure you catch up with, and I was just, so it's, yeah, yeah there's enough there where, you know, you mm-hmm. just, you're thrown into it. It's like, this is Adam. This is Adam Warlock. These are his, his four homies and high evolutionary is going to tell you what's going on. Um, and which is helpful because if, if you are a, a, not even fairly avid Marvel reader, but if you, if, if you, if you know Marvel enough where you know some of the characters and you may have heard of Warlock because, you know, you've read the Infinity Gauntlet or anything like that, um, the, uh, I'm sorry, the Infinity War, then, you know, you might be expecting to see some other Marvel characters because back in the seventies, Marvel characters hung out in each other's books from time to time, but at least you're, you're told right off the bat that, hey, there's a counter earth and, uh, this is why this is happening here. And at least there was that neat little, um, take, I think in the third issue where they, they told you that there was a fight between the Hulk and the Rhino yeah. where they came close to actually almost sort of kind of butting into, uh, the counter earth, but, uh, luck prevailed. No, they were actually on counter earth. Oh, were they? Mm-hmm. See, I didn't, I, re- I don't remember getting that impression from the third issue. Yeah. They, they got, yeah, no, they were on counter earth. That yeah. was the whole issue. Remember because the, High evolutionary is on, is is contemplating destroying Counter Earth, and Warlock says no. You made oh promise. no, okay. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's uh, it. I the vibration barrier I thought kept them from entering it, but he does say they battled here and then right. fled again. So right. my bad. Yeah, and then mm-hmm. the the language Roy Thomas uses, the descriptive language in this series, even with something as innocuous as as Counter Earth. He's, they, he, he uses the words, it was created from a rock rib from Earth. Yes. Like, w- number one, what the hell is a rock rib? What's a rock rib? <laughs> yeah, and okay, can, can you not just keep cramming this down our throats that it's a religious allegory? Like, so do, are, do we believe that counter Earth is Eve in some form? Like, Eve was created from Adam's rib, right? So it's just, it, it, it gets ponderous after a while. And then I thought it was really smart that he made the man beast in disguise with the street preacher. That was a nice touch. It was, but then I thought they went conveniently back to the well with with Apollo. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right? Yeah. So yeah, I right. thought, okay, didn't he just do this? All right. Yeah. Uh, so. But it was cool that um, one of Warlock's friends actually dies in an issue. And it, it's, yeah. it's almost like a Gwen Stacy type thing where yes. Warlock's reaching out to catch him and he misses. And you just see the hands kind of like um, the Sistine Chapel with the finger coming out and the mm-hmm. other one just barely – like there's a there's a distance between the two fingers and, the, you know, the creation of everything. And Warlock just misses him. And so I was thinking, man, somebody – Learned something from Jerry Conway, but this issue came before that, didn't it? Uh, this is what, 73? Yeah. Oh. Was this, was Stacy 72? It's gotta be close. It is close. Yeah. We'll check. Yeah, but I had fun. At the very least, I had fun reading these things. Oh, for sure. Especially because of the artists involved. Oh, no doubt. Yeah. Right. Legends. So. Freaking Basima and Sutton. Oh my God. And I, I will say, you know, you get to the end of the fourth issue and, and when you, uh, 
when you see the entire planet is being threatened and, and the only person who can save everyone is a gentleman wearing a metal encased helmet uh, who goes by Victor Von Doom. It does intrigue me to want to read the next issue. So it's, it's a really, um, as not as, uh, maybe, I don't want to say threatening, but as, as, as easy as it was to overlook the, the dangers in the first four issues, uh, seeing what's, what's in store with the next one. Um, I, I think Mike and Gil and Tom did a good job conveying it to make you want to read the fifth issue. Oh, yeah. And I, I got a kick out of the, the aforementioned thugs that were hiding in the corner waiting for dark were two bird based henchmen and their names were Hawk H A U K K and Pigeon P I H dash J U N N. And I thought okay, respect the wordplay, respect it. But of all the bird henchmen, you're gonna go with Pigeon? Where's Raptor? Eagle. Maybe maybe it was a play on Hawkeye. Falcon. Hey, even Kestrel. Something cool. Kestrel. You know? oh. mm-hmm. But Pigeon, what does he do? Shit on you? And then, exactly. Yeah. Brings you messages. <laughs> I got a message for you, son. <laughs> Read it. Weep. Attention. Get, no, it's on my leg. Get it. It's on my leg. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm out. Oh, so much fun. So there you go. There's the there's the first jaunt down back to memory lane. It was Published a good one, it was year, a one good. year before my birth. Yeah. Yeah. No, thanks. Uh, kudos to Jason for suggesting it. And as David pr- correctly alluded, I was inspired in the moment to pick those for a particular reason. Yes, which we won't get into. Are you I, shitting me? Into. See, you just are you shitting me? That's that, that and that's why I texted Jason. I texted Jason. I didn't say it on the Slack. So no, we're not saying anything. Better. You just said it. You just no, you did. You just did. We you did not. you said for a specific reason. Now, geez, if I were to extrapolate, that's it was Roy Thomas's but, birthday. That was the reason. Yeah. Okay. Oh Roy man, Thomas I just announced was just announced as being an attendee of HeroesCon. That's right. I have not met Roy, Tom- or I should say, I've never spoken to Roy Thomas. So I plan on, as we often implore our friends and listeners to do. I'm going to follow suit, and I will absolutely take some time to shake the man's hand and thank him for all of the work, because yes. you just never know if this is the last chance I'm going to get to meet him. I'll give him a hug. If he lets you. Even if he, he wants it or not. I you. don't care. No, come on. Threatened by me? When you had a belly, you looked sort of affable, but if you're in a 32-inch waist, you just look like a straight... Straight-up thug. Thug, thug <laughs> life. A ne'er-do-well. All right. Let's, it looks like pigeon. <laughs> I can't do that sound, so I'm just going to shit on you. Let's do something else here. What else did we read? Oh, that's oh, I like it. We're going to go. We're going to go back and forth. We're going to go What's modern, new, new mm-hmm. and old. No, I just thought we'd just keep oh. with the Bronze Age stuff. Because hence, oh, I thought you were alluding to. Oh, okay. No, hence I'm, the special. David and I mis- mistook your your intention. Yeah, yes, you, yes, did. Did. you did. You did. Uh, David, would you like to um, go into the uh, thing that you read? Or you suggested? Anyway? All read? That we all read? Yeah. Um, oh, okay, so we're not saving the best for us. That's cool. So oh. the... Uh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Get deep up in here. Oh, wow. Shut up. Oh, okay. 
I love him. I love Vince. So I, I know you mom. do. I know you do. I, Come on, we're going to pick yours apart for days. So it's, I mean, and there's plenty to chew on. So that, that that's absolutely fine. This is this is actually a collection of eight-page backups, um, concluding in one full-length issue of Detective Comics. And in case you're unaware, um, and you didn't see the Instagram photo from Eleven O'clock Comics tonight, we are talking about Archie Goodwin and. Walt Simonson's Manhunter serial uh, that was also it was collected at least at, at least twice because I I've owned two of the collections at one point the original that was uh, stapled from just those first issues uh, but then years later I think maybe 1999 or so they came out with a um, the special edition which is kind of like a gold Foiled cover, more of the Elseworlds, Dark Knight, Prestige format, yeah. square bound. Um, That's the one I have. That And I, I bought that for like a buck at a convention a couple of years. It may have been at C2E2, but I bought that one at a convention a while ago. Um, I had I, a lot of these original issues, but now they are in the possession I had of Mr. Campbell. Oh, you sucker. Yeah. I wish I'd have known. Wait, how's that? I thought you sold him your Batman stuff. And Detective. Right. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't. Yeah. yeah. Okay. It's a whole kit and caboodle. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, but uh, this was also, which is um, the version, because I couldn't rip up my book and, and scan it for you all. So uh, this is actually from the uh, Tales of the Batman, the Archie Goodwin collection, where um, they reprinted again this Manhunter serial and uh, and included from that special edition uh, the final chapter which was uh, Denny and Walt returning to the story one last time. Uh, but that does not fall into the parameters of, of the Bronze Age. This is um, So this is actually from Detective Comics 437 through 443. Um, and, man, there are, there are certain things that when I first read the, uh, the original collection um many 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 years ago i can't tell you how many times i read it and reread it as soon as i finished it um but there are certain panels that are just burned into memory and uh reading this again this week they all I knew exactly when they were coming and, and they still hit with the same impact. Um, it's, I'm, I really don't want it. it, it it's not so much that it's timeless because it's, it's, it really, the type of story it is, uh, it's, it's not like it's, it's not as dated as some of the other stories we, we, we read for tonight. Uh, it's not like, you know, there are things that could be done with a cell phone. Nobody, it really isn't, aside from the clothes, there really isn't a whole lot that, that tells you that it's, uh, except for maybe Paul's age, um, the era that it kind of takes place in. But I, it's, the story starts with um, an Interpol agent uh, by the, uh, by the name of, um, it's St. Clair. That was her first name. Why am I forgetting it? Christine. Christine St. Clair. Jesus Christ. Thank you. Uh, she is looking for 
a uh, she's looking for a Mr. Paul Kirk, um, who uh, is supposed to be dead, uh, but he's been seen, and and so she's trying to get to um, the bottom of it because there are rumors about uh, the type of person he is, and uh, that he is um, he's a killer, and she's looking for him. And I love the first chapter because the person telling Christine this story uh, is um, is in disguise. And and again, that that, that those last three panels of that chapter um, completely are burned into memory. Uh, yeah, didn't expect that. No, when, I really when I first I, read that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. As, as old as I was at the time, I completely was not. Um, and and the way Walt draw it, this is the story where as great as as Kane's art was with Sutton on on the Warlock story, uh, the way Walt lays out a page and just lets the lets the story go where it's going, and he doesn't try to he'll he'll warp panels around the action or around Archie's words. Uh, without trying to shoehorn characters and words in in certain panels, so so you get like you know nine panels a page. You get you can get as many as as six. You can get as uh, as as many as eight or ten. But it it just it's whatever the story calls for. So it it absolutely it works. This this I don't want to say it's it, it's not formulaic because there's no set patterns throughout. But it it's just it it works for this, for what they're doing. Um, it, it's, if the action needs one panel to just, you know, sh- focus on the Bundai dagger, then that's what we're going to do because then we're going to have a couple of panels where we can see Manhunter in action with it. And, and it just, it, it completely fits. Um, I'm not going to go whole story wide because I, I do not know. Um, I, I know, obviously, Vince read it, but I don't know if Jason's ever read the story. I had not ever read the story. Yes! And I know that it's a character you've always adored, so it was a treat to read it, because <clears throat> not only do, do I know that it's something that mattered to you, but it's Walt. <laughs> it is Walt. That's why when Vince was saying he thought that Respectfully, the warlock was the prettiest of the bunch. I, I, I just don't agree. I, I think this is the best looking of the bunch. Uh, this, uh, okay, this may be heresy. Um, I love this story. I love the look of it, but you gotta be totally honest. This is not Walt Simonson at the peak of his prowess. Correct. No, I don't disagree with that. I don't. Um, I will say that I thought that, so, this is interesting. It's going to sound, what I'm about to say is going to sound really stupid considering that there are probably a hundred examples of things that, are, that would also stand for what I'm about to say and they don't bother me. But here goes. I think the way that Manhunter is drawn in his costume has kept me from embracing the character up until this point. Because to me, he looked so ridiculous with the giant shoulder pads and the costume. It just seemed out of sorts with what he was as a character, which was a badass ninja dude. So, um, 
I don't know. It, it's it's it reminds me of when GI Joe was running out of ideas, and so they started making all these different ninjas that had these bright fluorescent colors. And you would think to yourself, why on earth would a ninja be fluorescent <laughs> pink? Like he's a ninja. Um, so I, I, I don't know that I love the costume design. I find the aesthetic for what it is cool. Like if, 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 if Manhunter was a, was another type of hero, I don't think the costume would bother me, but because he is this stealth assassin type, I wish the costume was more subdued. Now, all that said though, all that said, I thought that the story was fantastic. I thought that he was way cooler and more impressive than I ever figured him to be. He's in essence, it's not a, it's not an unusual character type, especially in comics. He's a, a a hero that's been trained and genetically modified and, um, that again, there's plenty of examples of that, but ultimately, I think it was really well done. It made me think, all right, this dude is not someone to fuck with. This is someone where, if you were to have Manhunter versus Batman, just like we had Batman in the Shadow a week or two back, I could see it being a battle of equals instead of Manhunter just being a tertiary character like Paladin in Marvel. Mm. Right? I always thought of him as Paladin. Just a, a third third C level character that had a moment or two, and I, I didn't quite understand why you liked him so much. But he's he's in he's a little bit pun, he's a little bit Punisher, a little bit Ninjak. There's there's a there's a lot that you could say Ninjak is more like him because I realized they were, he was probably created first. But right. you get my point. Um, so so I thought it was dope. I, I thought it was cool, and and DC definitely takes the cake for. Uh, in spite of Doctor Strange at Marvel, DC definitely owns the I'm going to train people in, in mysterious mountain settings to be badass. <laughs> yeah, true. it's true. Between but, Nanda Parbat and this and Batman. Yeah. Yeah. But the thing is, with Manhunter, DC hasn't really used Paul Kirk all that much. No. Uh, now, um, right, because there was a, a, a female version of Manhunter for about a by, uh, t- about by, a decade uh, or so ago, right? Right. By Mark Andreco. Like, yeah. By Andreco, right? Yeah. yeah. I didn't read that. Um, I thought it was, was a course, DA, right? Yeah, it was, was very good. a prosecutor good. or a DA. And, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And there was the Manhunters that, that, that were Guardians robots. But um, they're the, I, I, they do explain, which I thought, which I actually wrote down, which, which I thought was fantastic um, when they basically ran down his um, – his armory, they explain the costume in that he was flaunting it in the, uh, in, in the council's face by, by, by keeping, by keeping his, his, because the red, all his clones are in blue and we'll get to the clones, but all his clones wear blue where he wears red because he's, he's the leader. He's training them. He's, he's the person in charge. So when he escapes from the council, he's keeping the red to, thumb his nose in their face um but they also explain you know the shoulder pads or the um with with the tunic and the um which allows him to conceal weapons and and it's 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 weighted and it's got the protection yeah i i get that the the shoulder aspect of it the way it flows out can look a little silly you're not really 
or stuff like with that. But yeah. everything was explained as to why why it it's set up that way. So See, I, I, I really no doubt. I'm not saying they didn't address it. I'm I'm just saying that for some reason aesthetically the costume bothers me. Mm-hmm. But I say it's a ridiculous thing. I acknowledge it's a ridiculous thing because why doesn't Hawkeye's purple ass yes thing yeah. bother me? And why doesn't uh, there's a hundred costumes that that should bother the shit out of me that don't aesthetically? But for some reason I always thought that Manhunter's <laughs> costume was a little corny for what the character was supposed to be. Yeah, right. uh, but reading this story uh, has me has me past that. So when is the last time we saw this Manhunter in, in the comics? <laughs> uh, the Secret Society supervillains. Okay. Uh, that um, which was initially going to be my Bronze Age pick for the week until I finally realized that they made this collection available. Um, and I did start reading that. Uh, I'm up to the sixth or seventh issue, mm-hmm. and Paul Kirk is the um is the person who brings all the villains together and there's a a great reveal as to who is the true mastermind behind all of that i'm not going to spoil it tonight um but he will spoil it right yeah eventually i'll, <laughs> I'll be drunk enough to just play remember that so uh God. can we really spoil something that's <laughs> Yeah, seriously. I mean, you had Red Manhunter, so I mean, if I could, I could have spoiled something about that. But yes, no, you're absolutely right. If it's something that's, you know, 40 years old, it's really not spoiler warning. It's just something that somebody may not have read. But, um, Dark Side aside, so you have the, the, um, he, the Fitz got it. You have the, uh, he shows up and, and he pulls, you know, um, Grodd and, and everybody, yeah, Sinestro and Captain Cold and Mirror Master and, and apparently Catwoman was mentioned in the first issue, but she's not in the room at all. It was a great disappearing trick. I don't know what the hell, what, what Jerry Conway was thinking when he wrote that script, but, um, Paul Kirk is part of the team, but kind of in an undercover sort of way. Um, and in the back, just kind of a, uh, they have a file on all the villains and it does say in the back of the first issue that um, there were reports that Paul Kirk died with the council uh, but reports of his death may have been exaggerated right. so um, I don't after that though I don't even think I remember seeing him I, I don't really remember seeing him in like crisis or anything like that so or, or old issues of all-star squadron or justice thing. So I think, I, I don't think they've really used them all that much, uh, since the seventies. Yeah. I just, that's a bummer. Want yes. to, one thing about the costume, when I originally read it, I chalked it up to the arrogance of the council that they would have this fighting machine mm-hmm. who's supposed to be all about stealth and, and clandestine and, and they painted them red. I, I could see that. That's just kind of, and other, another thing was, I mean, it was the time. And, you know. No, and again, I, that's why I said I, I, I know it's irrational in the context of. Right. I, sh- if that bothers me, then I should be bothered by half of the characters in comics. Right. But I, I, I get I, it, yeah. No, right. So I understand it's not. But. It's not. One of the things that kind of bothered me when I, back in the day was how fleeting Batman's first appearance in the story is mm-hmm. where he shows up, you know, fights the enforcer, gets a lead, encounters 
Paul and company, and then he just leaves. And I'm like, what? <laughs> What's going on? Like, Batman is, is so cool. Like, why, why wouldn't you use Batman? But then later in the story, Batman comes back for good reason and finishes out the tale. But yeah. originally, I was like, this is crazy. Batman just left. Yeah, and at that point, it wasn't it wasn't a backup at that point. It was the full-on detective. So, I mean, this is Batman's book. Why is he just – why is he stepping aside? Yeah. For this backup character to run with the ball. Um, the neat thing about it is it's not the omnipotent, infallible Batman that we have today. This is a Batman that gets taken out, yep. makes mistakes a little bit. Um, he's, he, he's, mm-hmm. he's a man in a costume. He's a very resourceful man, but he's not perfect. And I thought – like I didn't recognize that when I read it originally because that's how Batman was. But now, right. when you when you can compare the Batman of today to this guy, they're almost like well, they are. They're two different characters. Mm-hmm. The uh, the fifth chapter is one of my favorites because you got the family walking through the cathedral, um, playing the whole tourist gig, and um, that's my favorite. And issue. the son not listening. Yeah. What's your favorite? That's my favorite issue. Oh, really? Yeah. It's so well done. The the family's the framing device. Yeah. And yeah, actually sure. influences the story at the end. Yes. Yeah. Yep. I love that. Um, and we, um, once we find out, you know, other members of the council who have passed on and this person who's trying to, you know, well, I'm, I'm next in line then. And we don't find out till the last page of that chapter after the son gets involved that, um, that he is Christine's father. And, um, at that point we meet Christine on the, on the train where her father meets her and, um, can't do what I guess he should do if he wants to move up in the council's world, uh, only yeah. to, to pay the price for that. Yeah. Um, if he was all in, he would have just shot her. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But you know, it's, that's, and it, it, it's, but that, even though you can have, on, again, unlike the Warlock issue where Roy is telling you exactly what Gil is showing you, um, some of these chapters are wordy AF, but, it's still Archie knows Walt's got this. I don't need to explain that, you know, the chain is going to take out the Bundai dagger. You, you, you just saw it. You, you see there's when, when the fight scenes are happening, it, it, there's, there's a story going on, but you're not getting a blow by blow, which. Yeah, you're right. And I, I think if there was a comics Rushmore, Archie Goodwin would, would be a contender. I mean, oh, one, one, of, one of the medium's best writers, best editors, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, in my eyes, the man could do no wrong. Just for his Warren connection alone. But, I mean, he did other things in that epic. And, and, and as a storyteller, Archie Goodwin is fantastic. You are not going to get an argument from me. No. Right, but who the, could argue that? There's no, there's no credible counter argument. It's true. That. See, that's how I like him. Um, but you, you can argue this point. 
uh, I said something to David on the on the Slack or on the Skype before we recorded the episode before Jason got here, and I said, you know, there's there's one definitely one well known beloved comic book creator that I don't know whether it was intentional or whether he derived in- inspiration from this storyline, but you see this Manhunter saga in everything he's written and probably ever will write. And who's that creator? When I say it, you're going to be like, okay. Hmm. Any ideas? I'm thinking. Okay. Well, I'll just tell you. We don't want that air. Go ahead. The Manhunter saga is totally Frank Miller. It's, oh, it's totally Daredevil. Every, all mm-hmm. of the beats in Daredevil are beholden to this man. Oh, yeah. yeah. You got, you got the stick character. Entirely. You've got, mm-hmm. yeah. You're absolutely right. You've got, um, I mean, Christine isn't necessarily Electra, but. No. There's, but, there's, no, but no, you're, yeah, no, I can, I, I can Even the tone it. of the writing, where, you know, it's, it's not, yeah. it's not slammed down your throat like the, the warlock. It's, he lets the, the images can carry the tale in some spots, but it's, I, 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 I'm sure the martial arts aspect has something to do with it, but there's a lot of Matt Murdock in, in Paul Kirk. And vice versa. I see that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just the whole, the, the, you know, the, Teacher is now the master, and, and 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 the inverse of that. It's just it just speaks Daredevil to me, it's specifically Frank Miller's Daredevil, mm-hmm. and, and a lot of the fight scenes, I'm seeing what Mazzucchelli did in the Daredevil. Okay. I see. Now, what were we? Oh, we were talking. It was it was Batman Shadow from last week, where you said that um, the the layouts the when look, um, look like man Batman shows yeah. up. Yeah, to, yeah. to take on Shadow. Before we we move on, the the talk of Frank Miller, Vince, I, I you reminded me I wanted to mention to you, oh, our yeah. buddy Felix Liu does a great podcast about once a month, I'd say, where he generally focuses exclusively on original art. Most of the time, it's speaking to other collectors, uh, and every now and then, someone else involved in the history of art collecting. And this week he posted, which something I'm sure will be to date his most popular episode ever, where he interviews Scott Free, who for longtime original art collectors know that name to be somewhat of a urban myth in the sense that back in the um, back in the 80s, at the height of Frank Miller's popularity, uh, he had an art dealer who went by the name Scott Free who was, of course, a stage name. That was not his real name, needless to say. Uh, but as the story goes, Scott Free was at the epicenter of selling, I would say, the most important comic original art pages of our lifetimes, um, meaning it was really the art that set off the idea of collecting modern original art and paying big sums for it. And to this day, Dark Knight pages in particular from Frank Miller are grail pages. They, they, anytime they come up, they, they fetch insane amounts. That one was just auctioned last year for nearly $600,000, for example. So uh, this guy was the guy that, um, and, and all that was, all that was remembered of the guy was there is a very well known collector named Ben O'Rothschild 
took a photo at San Diego Comic-Con, I think in 84, maybe it was or mid 80s. Um, and it was it was a picture of this gentleman, Scott Free, at a table at San Diego with stacks of Frank Miller artwork holding up one of the most famous splash pages from DKR. And then he disappeared, never to be heard from again. And in the art scene, there was lots of talk about the whys and wherefores of, of where he went, why he disappeared, so forth, so on. So Felix, through a mutual friend, got reconnected with Scott Free, and Scott granted Felix a two-hour interview chat about the history of his time working and selling Kirby art and Chaken art and Frank Miller art. But the most fascinating, and I commend every, anybody that's at all interested in original art or Frank Miller, I commend your attention to this. It's at Felix Comic Art. Uh, that just search on iTunes or, or go to Felix's site to find the podcast. But the coolest thing from my vantage about the conversation and something that I had no idea about, did you know that Todd McFarlane ghost inked pages of DKR? I had heard that or, yeah. or read that somewhere at one time, yeah. but I forgot it. Isn't that incredible? And, and the fact, and, yeah, and the and fact Scott that Scott Free just, acknowledged it. He said it's absolutely true. Wow, because it's he incredible. he was interning uh, with or assisting Klaus Janssen, right? Correct. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's Klaus was running behind and had Todd do some of them. Now, do they specifically name or cite with which pages he did work on? That I think it's I think there is some discussion of that, but I don't offhand I don't know I don't know what it is. That's a, that's interesting to me. Very interesting because mm-hmm. you know I love Todd. No, I know. I thought that was a neat <laughs> it's neat to think that Todd is somehow involved in, in that particular part of the world. But knowing so. Todd, why has that never been been why has he not delivered that information? If if I mean Maybe out of respect for Frank and, and Klaus and the work. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. I mean, again, these are pages that are, there's not a single Dark Knight page that isn't known to be in existence and who has it if you're a high-end collector, right? Sure. They all know who has each other's pages is my point. Right. And they all know when they're, so that they're they're all accounted for, if you will. And so I think that probably ties into it. But as the story went, and this is, for those wondering, as the story went, this, this guy, Scott Free, was working at um, a very famous, back then, Golden Apple comic store in LA. And that was the comic store where all the who's who in Hollywood would go to get their comics. And it was the early eighties and there was a lot of partying and Scott became buddies with Frank. They partied together, partied hard. And Frank really didn't care about his art because it wasn't so much a thing back then. It really wasn't. It was, it was just not, not really a thing. And so, um, Scott just said, I could start selling your art, make some extra scratch, and Frank said, do whatever. And then Frank was going away for a few days. And as the story goes, Scott was running low on pages because they were moving so fast. And San Diego was coming up. So he said to Frank, I'm running low. I need to restock. And Frank said, that's fine. So-and-so will let you in, their housekeeper or whatever. Just go in and, and, and get what you need and go to town. And that's where this picture came from. So it's this one particular San Diego. Scott sold a tremendous amount of Dark Knight art to people. And at the time, it was exorbitant prices. But we're talking for a for 
a famous DK, a famous splash of Batman. We're talking eight hundred dollars, which, for, to, to be clear, sounds like a steal now. When some people charge that for a commission, and they've done ten issues of a Marvel comic, but but back then, by context, Kirby splashes were going for five hundred bucks. So <laughs> so. To, to hear Scott tell it, it was audacious and it was the most anyone had gotten for modern art at the time. And what happened is apparently Frank comes back and Scott had given him a cashier's check for all the money that he made, thinking that Frank would be giddy about it. And Frank freaked out and called him and said, you didn't sell this page and this page and this page, did you? And... Scott said, of course I did. I, that's why I'm giving you the money. And Frank said, you, I didn't want you to sell those. you got to get them back. <laughs> and he's like, I, I can't get them back. What do you mean? And that was pretty much it. The, Frank's wife called Scott a week later and said, you really need to get these pages back. And Scott said, I, I reached out to everybody I sold them to that I, I remembered meeting. And we can get a few of them back, but most we can't. And that was it. And he never, Frank never spoke to him again. Wow. Yep. That's a great Isn't that crazy? Can you imagine if Frank sat on those? How stinking rich he would be if he just turned them over today? I know. Well that's 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 the stunning thing. Yeah. And it's the same thing with Kirby. He he and, and a couple other guys would sell Kirby pages. They were friends with, with Roz and Jack and they would go over to their house for dinner and Jack just had stacks of pages and he would let them grab what they wanted, and they'd go and sell it. And then on on Honor System, they would bring them back the cash, whatever deal they had, however what the split was, and bring them back cash every time he saw them. And wow. he just trusted them. <laughs> Amazing. Now, before we move on from the Manhunter, Jason, I gotta ask you: mm-hmm. on a scale of one to ten, mm-hmm. how much did you enjoy this story? Um, I'd say a seven. Oh, that's that's, that's what I was going to guess. That's respect. Yeah, respect for that. You uh, know what I was going to ask on your scale, on on a scale of one to pulpy. Yes, there's where I'm going, because oh, I see the Manhunter saga is pulpy AF. <laughs> okay, it it has all of the the checklist items for a pulp mm-hmm. exotic locales, um, cloak and dagger. Uh, rejuvenated hero uh, from one the mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you know the 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 whole man out of time thing. Uh, it, it is just so pulpy, and I'm like, if you enjoy this to this extent, <laughs> why do you not enjoy that? Mm. There's fantastical elements to it though, though as well. Science yeah. fiction stuff. The the idea of the nine there being. The council, all, it, the council being all in stasis except for one at a time, so they can they can extend their lives. Yeah. It's it's very James Bond in some sense. Yes, yes. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna hear you, and I'm gonna say I'm still not reading <laughs> wack ass pulpies. Uh, the um, damn, I the, tried. I know. Uh, before we move on again, um, you got me to read the shadow. We could go and say it was good. No, yeah. Riley Rosmo got you to read the shadow. That if, is true. if he was not attached to that, you would never have read. I think that's not true. You said do me. You asked me to do a favor and do it for you, and I said okay, I will read it. So, but Rosmo was the grace. Rosmo. No, Rosmo was why you thought because it was Rosmo, I would be more apt to say yes to your question. Exactly. But if you asked me to read 
a stack of gold digger shit shit paper, I would read it. Read a stack of shit paper. If if um if you haven't, if you find these issues of Detective Comics, if uh, if you find this special edition, um, pick it up. Read it. It's it's not only is it you know early Walt Simonson, uh, you get to see where he was before you enjoyed what he did on the Mighty Thor, um, but it's it's things that I remember from it. You know, it's 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 a solid standalone story in 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 the middle of you know DC's long ass history of all these other characters. It's there's there's a seriousness there's a seriousness to the story even after Batman's included because normally and up until that point it's there, there, there's a lot going on and and you, you're still not sure you don't even need to be in the DC universe for this story to be taking place until now all of a sudden here's Batman um, and every issue is a different locale too yeah it, it really it's it's and and it's they kick it off by letting you know you know we're in Nepal and, and there's just it's I it's I don't read it as regularly as as I read some of the other books I, I tend to read almost every year but um I it, it's there are certain panels as I was talking to Vince about this before we were recording that there are certain panels that just stuck with me over the years um especially uh Paul's the final confrontation with, with the council and, um, and with, um, and with micros and, and that's, that panel has stuck with me forever. Um, and I don't know why, but I always thought that when, that there's, there's a tunic that, um, micros is wearing that, is all it's not bedazzled, but it's got you know all these little dangling red Gucci mind, and it's and I thought for some reason I always thought that Manhunter had um, small little firecrackers in 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 his hands, and that's that was just all leading to to the big explosion part of it. And but no, it's it's all part of the. It's just there are certain things. What were you saying? There's a precedent for you thinking that because he does use firecrackers. In the story yeah. prior to that. So the, they're the same shape. They're the same color. Why wouldn't you think that? Right? And right. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I, it's just, but, and, and it's not like, it's not like by me not realizing that, that all of a sudden, you know, the, the, the story changes or, or that's not, it doesn't end the way I thought it was going to end. Uh, it, it was, I was, I don't, 10, 11, I don't know. I got to look to see when that first special edition, uh, it came out because I, I don't know. I know I've, I've had one of the issues of that had this backup, one of the backup chapters. Um, I had it at one point and I, I, I couldn't be able to tell you which issue of detective it was. So really the whole thing, I, I view this in eight page chapters and then without reading the, the first, the main story that, that month. So, um, yeah, no, I'm basically there. There are certain things that I've mentioned over the years, and I, I, I think you know if 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 you see this, read it. Uh, this is definitely uh, high on that list. Totally agree. Everyone should have should read this at some point. 
Yeah. All right. Yep. Let's uh, move on to something else. Do we want to do thick or thin? Thick or thin? Yeah, we have two books left. We do. Two? Yes. Yeah. See, now that would have been wise then for Vince to go, so then he could. Um, Wait, we have two. Yes, we, we do. do. We have. We. Oh, you know what? Let's do thin because it will bookend. I'm beginning to think I didn't read thick. Mm, I'm beginning to think oh. the same thing. That's okay, though. But wait, wait, you gave us two? Yeah. Uh, yeah. How are you going to give us two? You can't do that. Oh, okay, Mr. 15. Okay, four. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> I amended, though. I well, amended. Yeah, you I did. So, All we right. got, so we got Gorm and what else? Uh, World's Finest. Oh, I didn't read it. That's okay. Uh, huh. The thin. What did you say? Well, no, we, we threw that out. You must have been doing something else. You were right. Hey, I don't see that Dap Dap didn't read it either. Yes, he did. I did. Yeah, he I did. did. <laughs> All right. Oh, what? is that Brave and the Bold 198? <laughs> no. No. But I mean, that'll. that'll <laughs> we can, <laughs> Dude, it's not, it's not in your. I read this list. <laughs> well, I didn't finish. No, because I didn't. I'm, I'm reading the, the John Jones chapter right now. So it's not on my, my oh, read list. Oh, I see. Well, then how was I supposed to know? Because it was, it was on the Slack. It was in the general channel, yeah. All right. Not a whole lot of pages, but very high in content. It's Supernatural Thrillers, number three. Oh, one of that. Yeah, the thin. Supernatural Thrillers, number three, cover date April 1972, featuring The Valley of the Worm. It's uh, adapted from the story by Robert E. Howard, who, if you're old enough to remember, was the literary golden boy at Marvel at the time. They milked the hell out of Robert E. Howard. They did. Yep. Uh, there were a couple other ones, but, you know, Theodore Sturgeon, uh, some Lovecraft at the time, but Robert E. Howard was the poster child. If they were, you know, Conan at the, at the top, and then tons of stuff, including <laughs> this. But um, it was scripted by Roy Thomas, there's that name again, and Jerry Conway. Jason's Boo, Pencils by the amazing Gil Kane, Inks by Ernie Chan. Yes. And originally, the inks bothered me. But looking at it through 51-year-old eyes, I think Ernie did a great job. It's not as cl- It's not as clean as I expect to see Gil Kane. I mean, Tom Sutton was the perfect anchor for Kane, I think. Uh, but because Ernie has a little bit of heavy hand, but he doesn't – the Gil Kane shines through is what I'm saying here. Kane, uh, Ernie doesn't eclipse Gil, which is a great thing in tandem, right? you got to work in unison, and that's what's mm-hmm. happening here. Uh, the gist of the story is you got a, a man uh, bedridden. He's dying, James Allison. And as he nears his end, he begins to experience glimpses of his past lives. That's a cool premise. One of those lives um, is of a man whose deeds have, over the centuries, been mistakenly attributed to Perseus and Siegfried and Beowulf and St. George and this is where Gil Kane shines on this issue because there's a double-page spread of the man called Nyord 
and his quote ancestors in in uh, mythology with all with Perseus and Siegfried, and it is just a gorgeous, gorgeous spread. Do you agree? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, it's amazing. And if you want to see it, uh, Sands buying this original issue, you can go to our website, 11oClockComics.com, because it will be featured in the gallery that accompanies this episode. So, um, Nyord single-handedly brings down the mighty worm. That's the entire story. But how does he do it? And, and who is Nyord? Well, Nyord is, as we learn at the end of the story, He's Asgardian. He is of the Aesir. And uh, when the story begins, Nyord's people begin to migrate from their lands. And in this migration, they encounter a race that is a frequent bane to uh, Robert E. Howard's Conan. It's the brutish Picts. Uh, so the Picts and the Aesir do battle, and Nyord's people vanquish almost all of them. But one picked by the name of Gorm fights so strongly and so bravely that Nyord lets him live. The ladies go around bashing in the heads of all the fallen picks. They just talk about around. booze having your back. That's nuts, right? They're just clunk, just killing all the, smiles on their face too. All, right, and they're hot because they're Aesir. and um, hot AF. They're for real, uh, and they're Gilcane women. So they're just going around killing these guys, and and one of them is going to go end this Gorm. But Nyard's like, no, 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 let him live. He earned it. He, he's a tough little cookie, and and I'm gonna I'm gonna reward him with his life. And he's lucky he did that because Nyard and Gorm bond. Their people make peace. They go out and explore the land together. They fight a saber toothed tiger. Um, well. Nyord does all the fighting. Gorm kind of hides behind a bush. And um, Nyord kills the Sabretooth, but at great expense. Like, he is ripped to shreds, and he can't make it back to camp. So Gorm carries him. He, he in, in essence, he saves him from from death. Um, so they're exploring, and, and, and Gorm tells Nyord about this worm thing. That you know, when the when my people first came here, something came up out of the ground. There's there's a and just devastated, just raised, uh, ripped to shreds our people. Um, so there's places where we don't go. You see that big hole over there? Don't go near that because the worm. You know, you're going to anger the worm and he's going to kill you. So Nyord, being you know as guardian. There's no, you know, there's no battle I can't, no foe I can't conquer. Screw this. I'm going to go piss off the worm. But Nyord's smart. Um, before he encounters the worm, he battles a giant serpent called Satha. And he kills it. But uh, for for good reason, he extracts the, the Satha's venom. And he covers his his sword and the venom and he gets it all nice and sticky and then he goes and battles the worm and it's like total braveheart puts on the the war paint he goes i'm gonna kill this bitch and he does just that but at the expense of his own life nyor dies at the end but it's a great i mean heroic fantasy i would argue that 
not many did it better than Gil Kane. Hmm. I don't think don't it would be, be a, an argument, you, right? You refuse to have any arguments tonight. There's no debating this week. There is Nobody there, is going to argue any points anybody is making tonight. No, you can argue it, but I mean, come on. Would I? Who, who could you put above Gil Kane? There, there, there are a few. There are a few that were more adept at this thing, the heroic fantasy, than Kane. John Basima, I'll give it up, was one, was one of them. Uh, yeah. uh, Wally Wood was yeah. was uh, yeah. yo. Come on, I, you know, I, I hazard to to pick any other ones. I love the the creature designs in this little story. Yeah, that, long tooth, which is a saber tooth tiger, but it's much more monstrous. Mm-hmm. Uh, dope for sure. The we get a couple different serpentine renditions. We get the, the the red giant serpent at the start of the book when they're making the allusion to this being an allegory that was attributed to all the different heroes. Right. Then we get a giant golden snake. Which um, more conventional in its design, but still cool. Uh, and then we get that crazy hairy creature that looks like a—I don't even know. It looks like a like um. It looks like that um, uh, the, to, to the, the Canadian the Canadian god from Alpha Flight merged with the Sasquatch. If you remember. Um, yeah, it does kind of look like that. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But and see, then and then you get the worm, which is awesome. Yeah, I mean that is an awesomely designed, freaky, freaking looking creature. And Dap and I had a good laugh at Gil Kane's expense because this is not the last time Gil Kane drew that worm. He, whenever he had to draw a gigantic serpent-like creature with nutsacks hanging all off it, I mean. That's this is this was Kane's fallback. Uh, this is a, I think it's a signature image. He he used this worm many times, mm-hmm. and like I'm surprised it didn't show up in Sword of the Atom. That was just a uh, big, that was just a big snake. Yeah, well, yeah, well, big because of where they were, but yeah, otherwise a normal snake for us. Um, Why mess with perfection? It is a great design. I, mean, I, I love. I, I call them nutsacks because that's what they look like hanging off the chin. And it's lasted so many years. So I mean, it's not like he did this a couple of times in like a three year span. I mean, this book is from this issue is from what seventy three, seventy even earlier. But it's yeah, seventy. And it's sort of, sort of the Adam was in the eighties. So I mean, he's he was able to to make it work. I don't um, as as much as as I love Big John, um, I won't check yourself. Go down the. I, I, I'm just hey, you got yours. I, I I got mine. We all love John. We do, um, but I'm not. I I am not going to go down the path and and put one above the other. Not not. Yeah. Not tonight. We're all in a good mood. I'm Kane, not. I, Kane, no, no, you don't have. No, I, I get what you're saying. I, I, I don't. You're not going to get me arguing this because, as you know, I could take or leave Busema Conan, even though most people would consider that 
That's true. You shut your work. filthy mouth. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. And again, I, I think it's beautiful. Yes. But as you know, I'm not beholden to those characters in the same way. Okay. So, right. for example, as a OA collector, you guys know I covered Busema art, and I'm happy enough. I, I'm I'm thrilled to own a page, but but uh, for, there is a massive dispersion between the availability and cost of his Conan work and the availability and cost of his Marvel work. Right. It's, it's Marvel stuff, especially the Avenger stuff is 10 X what comparable Conan stuff is. Now see, I would value a Basima Conan page infinitely more than a Basima Avengers page. Sure. And that's cool for you if you ever but, want one, cause it, it's much more attainable. Right. It's just, just like Neesman. Remember Neesman bought one and yeah. he, he paid like, I think three, $400 for a gorgeous, uh, Ernie Chan inked, uh, Conan, Busema Conan page, and it's wonderful, but for me, I, it just doesn't mean much. So I, yeah, see if I was going to, I want Busema Spenders, but unfortunately, what is out there, you, you really can't get a Busema Avengers page, even of, of minor import, meaning tertiary characters and nothing, no, no great layouts. So you can't even get that for less than, you know, $1,000 at this point. So, yeah, I have one Avengers page from, Lucemba's last run with Tom Palmer inks that I got from a Comic Link auction for a thousand dollars, but it was and it's I love the page because it's Lucemba, but it's it's you know there's the She Hulk's on it and there's a Black Knight and there's Nimrod. It's not we're not talking you know yeah we're not talking premier Lucemba Avengers right. See if I was going to invest in a Lucemba Conan page, it would have to be inked by Alfredo Alcala. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, there, mm-hmm. there, there would be no substitute for that. I just think it's a, it was a great combination. I like Ernie Chan. I, I, he, he, he was a, a superb anchor, but for my money, Alfredo just brought out stuff in, in Basima's work that nobody else did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but heavy-handed, very heavy-handed. I look at this, the entirety of this issue, and it just boggles my mind that this was just very workmanlike stuff from Gil Kane. But when you compare it to, at, I mean, at the time, right? But when you compare this issue to the stuff being done today, this was done, I mean, as a job, just, you know, okay, he just fulfilled an obligation that he had to make money. But you, this art is just, it's, it's, it's godlike to me. No, that's what I was going to say. I think this art is incredible and I think stands up against much of what was being put out in that same period of time. Oh, sure. Yeah, definitely. And and to your point, would hold up well if it was put out today. It's detailed enough that it would stand well today. It wouldn't look dated. Yeah. Kane is a master of anatomy. And and I think that that's – not that John wasn't, but, but John is uh, – He's more brutish than than Kane. Kane is elegant, where Basima had a, a rough, hewn, brutish, thug-like, dirty, gritty style that was very appropriate for Conan, but and and other heroes. But he didn't have the the. I don't think he had the virtuosity of of Gil Kane in terms of anatomy. Because mm-hmm. Kane would he would. 
take his like Green Lantern being the obvious example. He would take his his uh, characters and bend and twist and distort and contort that anatomy where you're just like, damn, you know, like he wasn't using a model. Like no model could could pose <laughs> in the positions that. <laughs> Gil Kane put them in because it's just not humanly possible, at least for more than you know one or two seconds. So right. it's this is all from from the mind, and it's just it it just staggers me when I see it. There's it, there's a, a fluidity and 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 a, a grace, a, a, definitely a grace, it, and and it's it's dynamic would, yeah. in in that um, it just yeah, I mean whether. You get the sense of action. It's not. It's not somebody. It's not somebody posing with a sword and as as if you know someone's painting a picture of that person or a director yelling cut. It's there's. You get the whole sense that this is just a mid air scene. You know where he jumped from and where he's heading to, and and it's it just it completely flows. And the fact that there is a ton. Of text on every single page, mm-hmm. and and the art still shines. There's still plenty of room for both. It's it, it really is. It's I'm I never read this story before. I'm glad you picked it. Um, I'm amused that you both picked stories by Gil Kane and I didn't. Uh, yeah, I, the, I thought that was kind of funny too. <laughs> it's it's um there's no I I and I I thought the um. The, the the big twist at the end with uh no his reveal was uh I, I I wasn't expecting it. I didn't know where it was going and the fact that uh we we know who his people are was um yeah. was pretty neat at the end. I And that's was, not a Marvel thing. They're they're Asgardian in the original story. Oh I figured. I mean yeah. I figured this was basically word for word uh, a straight no, it's very, very, very faithful to the to the Robert e. Howard story, and and the, one of the things that I appreciate is especially about this story is the the herald that comes out of the the temple that that shaggy thing playing the the uh, that weird flute pipe flute thing that's very Lovecraftian, and Lovecraft and Robert e. Howard were buddies. So you can see Lovecraft's influence on his work and to a point, you know, there's some Robert E. Howard and not much. But, I mean, that thing that just shambles out of the hole and starts playing the flute. And and they even, you again, with the language, cosmic horror is used in this story. And that is just, when you're talking cosmic horror, there's one guy that's the patron saint of that, and that's Lovecraft. So it's just a cool story. I agree. I agree. And much like Manhunter, I had not read this, so Yay. it was fun as well to read. I thought it was great. I thought it was a nice little vignette, uh, self-contained, and uh, I have to admit, I didn't. I didn't see him. I didn't see him dying at the end. Coming. It's nice. Mm-hmm. Yep. Total sacrifice for his people. Yes, indeed. Now, now they can live in peace. The only thing missing was the obligatory, which we got a lot in Conan. Banging out the hot chick as part of the right, day. yeah. <laughs> Conan always took time to tap something. Didn't matter. If always was, got his rock. Yeah, off. always. Oh yeah. Always. Like Bond. Yeah, yeah. And and he had always got in where he fit in. He had the filet mignon of the uh, the time too. Red Sonia. 
Doesn't I, I, doesn't get any better than that. Elite. Ah, Belite's like nah, she's a second stringer compared to Red Sonia. I would step on Red Sonia's face to get over to to get to sniff. Really? Mm-hmm. You like them pirates? I was, I was I um, like them big women. Red Sonia's too big. She is big. Um Asgardian's a little bit of um maybe maybe a touch racist. Since uh they mentioned that the um the pics that uh, Gorm's people are, are painted. I was like, well, just because you're white, dude, doesn't necessarily mean that someone would, would, would darker. Because, and what, why that, the reason that <laughs> stuck out is because later on, um, uh, Nyord is, is painting his face before he goes into battle. I'm like, well, that's, that's someone with paint on their flesh. It's like, I was like, that's, that's a little, but all right, I'll, but, but like you just said, he considering and, him he his friends. Yeah. Howard. Yeah. yeah. So the buddies. There you go. Good stuff. Very good stuff. A trip down Mamory Lane. For real. Waka, waka, waka. The Bronze Age player. So, Dap, um, do we want to talk a little bit about World's Finest 226? You should, yes. I'd yes. love to hear about it. Yes. It's the silliest thing we've read this the week. First, the first story. The first story is extremely yes. silly. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's loaded with stuff. Uh, here's my copy. You get um, Superman, Batman, and Metamorpho. You get the Golden mm-hmm. Age, Golden Age Sandman, Wesley Dodds, and Sandy. That was a reprint, right? They're all reprints except for the Superman, Batman, and Metamorpho story. Oh yeah, the yeah, the man, uh, the Eclipso one too. Okay. Yep. Uh, I could tell you exactly where it came from. The Eclipso story was from House of Secrets number sixty-three. Ah. The Dead Man story. Uh, is from Strange Adventures number 207. Uh, and of course. Is that Dead Man's second appearance? I'm not sure. Okay. And the, uh, Martian Manhunter story was from Detective Comics 225 and 226. 225 is his first appearance. I would have picked up on it had I, uh, Gotten into these. I, I just, I'm at the very first page of that, of, of that story. Um, but I mean, like I said, jam packed, loaded. Well, it's, it's a 100 pager for, right. uh, for only 60 cents. It's world's finest number 226. Yeah. And, um, as David said, there's an Eclipso story, which was written by Bob Haney with art by the amazing Alex Toth. Yes. The Dead Man story was written by Carmine Infantino and Jim Miller with art by some guy named Neil Adams. Hope he makes it. Yeah. Uh, the Sandman story is, of course, Jack Kirby and Joe Simon. But the Superman, Batman, and Metamorpho story, which is called The Freak Who Never Fails, written by Bob Haney, inks, or, uh, sorry, pencils by Dick Dillon. No stranger to these two characters and many more with the Justice League stuff and inks by Tex Blaisdell. Yow. Yeah. Seriously. Um, and I was looking through the digital copy that David read. There's something missing in that from the uh, original comic. It's the, uh, there's a text piece in here from the world's finest fans that, you know, they reprint letters, but there's a, a piece on Tex Blaisdell. 
that is not in that digital file. Oh man, I would have loved to have read it. I know, right? But Batman. Oh, did you mention the uh, the Robot Man story? I did not because I thought it was poopy. Yeah, I didn't even. Know. <laughs> I didn't. I just I just blew past it. Like yeah, yeah okay. same here. It did not interest me at all. And I it's started. To, I, I started to read it, but it's not Cliff Steele. No, it's mm-hmm. it's butt. Yeah, it's butt. So, uh, Booty. the freak who never fails. You have a biophysicist named uh, Dr. Jan Vronsky who does not like his current situation at all. He's he's in this the country of Mariposa, which just happens to be ruled by a dictator, and uh, he came from a country that was ruled by a dictator and he fled to Mariposa. Mariposa got a dictator. He's like, screw this. I'm out. So he, uh, and the dictator's name is El Jefe. <laughs> so, yes. so what he does is he records a little cassette tape and he pleads for help. Get me out of here. And it eventually gets in the hands of U.S. officials. So who do you go to when you're, you, uh, you know, the, the, who does the Pentagon go to when they want help? They go to Superman, <laughs> Batman, and, and and they're brought in, and and Batman's all like, "This could be a trap." No, really, um, and and Superman's like, "Well, we got to follow through on this. We, we got to see if w- what's up." So meanwhile, Simon Stagg offers um, Rex Mason a really sweet deal. I want you to just. Hop on over to this little country called Mariposa, and my buddy is in charge over there, and I want you to check out my mining interests. And Rex is just like, why the hell would I want to do that? You're silly. And so Simon says, okay, here's here's the, the carrot on the end of the stick. You go do this for me. I'll give you a million dollars, which in 1974 money was a lot of money, Right. And and that'll be more than enough Skrilla to keep my daughter Sapphire happy. Maybe she'll marry you. Yeah. You know. And the page where they show or the panel where they show um Sapphire relaxing by the pool. Where's where'd that car come from? She got her name on it. She, <laughs> she got, got her, she, <laughs> she drives her car to the pool. Yes, and it says Sapphire on the side of it. But that panel, the figure drawing that Dick Dillon did for Sapphire, it's gorgeous. Nice. I'm gonna put that up on the, on the website as well. Uh, so Rex goes to Mariposa. You're seeing where this is going, right? Batman and Superman eventually run into Rex, cozying up to this dictator, and they, well, what would you think, right? But there's a little twist to the story. El, El Jefe has switched the real Doctor Vronsky with an imposter. And this guy will do anything for for El Jefe, including being infected with a very deadly virus. So his plan is, El Jefe's plan, is that Superman and Batman would rescue this imposter, take him back to the States, and the virus is just going to run roughshod and just affect everybody in the United States. Boom. But it doesn't pan out that way. Because Superman and Batman fail. They do. And if they didn't fail, the United States would not be the, well, in DC Universe anyway, the United States would not be the place that 
DC characters all know and love. It would be a wasteland. But it's a silly-ass story because when there's a point where Superman and Batman, they commandeer a banana cart. <laughs> yep. This guy's tooling along with a banana cart, and I guess they asked him to borrow the cart. I don't know. And Batman is is at the, the seat of this cart with the little whip, you know, to get the donkeys moving, and he's got a sombrero on. And, you know, he's all decked out in, in the, the regalia, and he leaves the cowl on. Yep. The cowl is still on. Yep. What the, the whole cowl? What, and, what and the, the same hell? thing when they're dressed as, as uniformed officers. Yeah. He's wearing, the, he's wearing his little cap. It's so silly. Almost as silly as Superman dropping Batman without telling him why. Right. So he can go and divert. This meteor, so it can hit, he can hit this country, baffling the radar. So when Superman and Batman land, they won't be detected. They'll just think it was the meteor that hit the Earth. Right, but that's, I mean, Superman is extremely flighty in this story, and no, it really is. No pun intended, because again, they're 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 on the trail of this, you know biophysicist and they're trying to 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 get him out and superman is supposed to meet batman at a pre-appointed time and place and he doesn't show up he he goes in, into a, a neighboring country or, or or i think it's even within mariposa and he helps grow crops Oh yeah, gives everybody steroids. Yeah, and he and he helps feed the cattle. And yep. Batman's like, "WTF, dude? We're supposed to meet." Right, and that's the, that's the part where they fail. See, Superman's going doing humanitarian stuff. Right, Batman's waiting for him, and in the meantime, Rex Mason's behind the scene as Metamorpho, and he actually saves the day. But why is so? He turns into a bouncing ball. He turns into a rug. A rug. Yeah. But then to get into this room, he just decides to turn himself into a fucking key a instead key. of gas or something that he can slide under the door. It's like that seems like a lot of effort, dude. It does, but it's cool to see Rex <laughs> to metamorpho as a key, and and when he's a key, he got he has an eyeball. Yep. On the side of the key, and there's a piece of cotton that they jammed into the the keyhole so nobody can put a key in because everybody knows you can't pull cotton out of a keyhole. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so he he gets through, and then once he opens the door, he comes through all snake like, like he yeah. turns all. I'm gonna undulate through this door, but uh, this must have infuriated David to no end. There is Nick Cardi does again on the hundred pages he did most of the covers. Nick Cardi does a great cover where Superman's like, "Let's go, Batman," and he's reaching. For a door, and he's like, Metamorpho isn't here either, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. That dialogue, either, who else are we missing, right? And as Superman's reaching for the doorknob, the the doorknob is Metamorpho. And yeah. everyone knows if you transform into a doorknob, you keep your face on the doorknob. <laughs> Why? I don't know. <laughs> it's just so silly. But there's one panel that I have to read. Because it, it is, Speak on. it is to laugh. Let me find it. 
it's the there's a it's the top when um Metamorpho is or Rex is in the oh here it is. He's in the the stretch limousine with El Jefe and they're going back and the the caption reads that night at a seaside villa. So, Senor Mason, tomorrow you begin your tour of stag oil and mining interests. But tonight we eat, drink, <laughs> and pleasure ourselves. <laughs> what the right. hell? Yeah, you will. We all gonna do that in the same room? What? And and Rex says, "What a creep." Sounds like us in five weeks. <laughs> yeah, really? No, but we gonna pleasure ourselves. Woohoo! I love these hundred pages. There's so much goodness in here. What was your favorite story, Dap? Oh man, it would probably have to be the Eclipsa. Really? Um, yeah, because I I never read a lot. Of, I mean, I read Eclipso in, in other worlds, finest issues here and there, but um, I really never read a whole lot, or I didn't know a whole lot about Eclipso until the Darkness Within annual right. event and then the ongoing series. Um, I always which thought I kind of want to go back and, and reread that annual now. Yeah, um, I always thought that Bruce Gordon was possessed by the Black Diamond, like. Because it, it scratched him. It, no, but in this one, it's like it scratched him, and he 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 <laughs> he became like whenever there was a, a, an eclipse. No, so basically, he, he no. Whenever the, the moon was eclipsed in some right. way, right. he became well, eclipso. Originally, according to this particular story, it only happened because he his his father in law didn't think he was going to turn back into eclipso. Until the next eclipse, which wasn't weeks. Oh yeah, yeah. Wasn't for another few. No, weeks. you're you're right. It says, and now every time he is within the area of an eclipse, Doctor Bruce Gordon becomes the demon Eclipso. So there actually had to be an eclipse. But then, so how does that work? When they so like, in this story, they covered the moon and shit in this story, and he becomes Eclipso. They they covered the spotlight at the theater. Yeah, it, it eclipsed the stage light, and that. Started to turn him into Eclipso, and um, that's not the moon. And though. then they it's get just, out of their yeah. their pickle by um, by <laughs> the father-in-law uh, <laughs> blocking the thermal lamp with uh, with a cover. Uh, but he basically he's schizophrenic when he's Eclipso. He knows he's he's Bruce Gordon, but he's he's evil and he has no care for anybody really. Um, he doesn't. He's a prick. He is a prick. Um, it, it, it's it's tough. I mean, the the, the art oh, was uh, spectacular. I, I mean, the story may not have been stellar, and and I didn't realize it was a whole Lois Lane thing with um, his fian or his wife thinking that um, you know that that Bruce was Eclipso. But then then I saw you together, even though he's a robot. Well, wait, if he if he's a robot, then how do you not know that? Unless you think that just straight up Eclipso is a robot all the time, or if um. Or are you saying that you know Eclipse was a real person? This one just happened to be a robot, but I don't believe Bruce. Is, I, it's confusing as hell. Um, yeah, it's it's a the setup was kind of weird. Yeah, you had these two countries that were about to go to war because one said all of the ore deposits were theirs, and then the other country said no way because. Those ore deposits came from our country. The only reason why they're in your country is because of the volcano. 
you know, pulling them over, liquefying them and pulling them over near country. And it's like, so uh, Gordon was going to analyze this big chunk of ore to see where it came from, uh, you know. So they stick it in a cyclotron and the thing goes kablooey. And when it blows up, there's um, an Eclipso there and a Bruce Gordon there. And there's like, well, how did that happen? So And so it pans out in the story. You get to learn how. But it's just... Yeah, it was it was a silly little thing, but the art is the the one the the, the main factor for reading this. So like, Toph yeah. is just amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, wow. Well. The, the the Neil Adams story was very. I mean, I'm sorry. The, the Dead Man story was very melodramatic. There's, there's but it's it's there's no. It, Boston is just trying to look for his killer. And all he does is bounce into someone else's. But he's—it's basically yeah. fucking quantum leap. He it is. is. He, it it's is. basically—he's—he's—and uh-huh. he's, so there wasn't. Aside from the Neil art, it, it, there wasn't a whole lot to to really no. worry about with that one. Um, more more melodrama. That that's Boston brand. That's all. Mel, it's all melodrama. It's like, oh, woe is me. <laughs> I, I got to jump into this hot chick. See, you know, <laughs> that's see, that's what I would do if I was Boston brand. Like you would, I would be jumping in there in the hot chick. Tank on it. Yeah, but my favorite story was the Sandman story. I figured. I it's. I'm just not. I I like Simon and Kirby. I I, I can't lie. Um. Sandman, though, just was never a character that I really got into. Did you read the Sandman Mystery Theater? Come on, dude. I'm just saying. You know. Yeah, but that's that's it's different. That's Golden Age gas mask. Yeah, and it's it's also it starts off being written by Matt Wagner. Yeah, it's more um, it's more adult. It's yes. more it's, well, it's a Vertigo book. Yeah. It's much more contemporary. This the, was the, the, this is the purple and yellow Sandman with Sandy, the golden boy. It was just, it, uh, <laughs> but the story itself was so. I mean, it would have made it would have worked out better for me if it was a Plastic Man story. It just, I mean, oh, I, I won't sleep, and I just, I'm, I'm the the whole Silas Pettigrew dude. It was just like that. That's yeah, not, it, the the guy has a problem with sleeping, m- meaning he can't stop falling asleep. He's he's at work or at a baseball game or at dinner and he, he's even proposing. Propo- he's proposing to his girlfriend. He falls asleep, right? So he witnesses um, a robbery slash murder, and then he falls asleep. And the, the crooks are like, "Well, this is fortuitous. Let's put the gun in his hand and we'll frame this dude." And that's what happens. And so Sandman and Sandy enter the picture and they try and clear the guy. But Silas he hates the Sandman. Because the Sandman equals sleep, and he is plagued by by sleep, so he, you know, he hates the poster boy for sleep. But Sandman eventually clears his name, and everything's happy at the end. But it 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 was the Simon and, and Kirby art is just butter for me. Oh, mm-hmm. it, it's the gravy. Yeah. How much do you think a um, hundred pages would be in the current market? They'd be like seven ninety nine at least. Easy, yeah. Easy. Oh, at least uh, I. Marvel's been doing those anniversary issues at ten bucks now. Oh no, kidding! Uh, are, are those hundred pages or are those like sixty? I don't even pages? think they're hundred pages. I don't right? either. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw books last week. I forget the name of the. Was it Alterna Comics? They were a buck and a half for thirty two pages. Uh, granted, they're on newsprint. 
but a buck and a half. And I'm thinking that's cool from a, a consumer standpoint. Like I want cheap comics. You give it to me for a buck and a half, I'll take a peek. But how are they making any money? Well, they're not. You know that. But these these just came like these are all they were all first issues. So right, but I'm it, saying you know that the answer is they're not. Right. It's you know it's it's amazing that they would even embark on such a a proposition with the direct market being what it is. I mean, if you're not Marvel and DC, you're not making big money in the direct market. Right. And for somebody to come up and say, all right, let's here, you can have this for a buck and a half. Now I didn't look any further than the covers. They need a, a they need a graphic designer badly. Uh, but as far as the art goes, I can't really tell you if they were, if they were uh, any good, but it, 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 Bears investigating. I want to see how this company is going to do. Cool. It's just I don't know who's bankrolling it. Whatever. Mm. All right. So that was World's Finest. Uh, 226. 1974. And that was also the wrap on our special Bronze Age episode. Yes, sir. If you enjoyed this in any way, jump on the the 11oClockComics.com website, leave a comment or on Facebook. Tell us you like this because we'll do more of them. Maybe next time it'll be Silver Age. You never know. Yeah. I, I like the themed episodes. I wouldn't want to do it every week. But, well, sure. you know, once a month I think would be very cool. No doubt. Like one month we could do all bad girls or all horror comics, just saying. Or, you know, or Silver, <laughs> silver Age. There's there's plenty, plenty of, of things to... To, to cover. There are always themes. Yes. You can hang your hat on it. If you if you wore a hat. Um since Jason did mention yes, I did read The Brave of the Bull one ninety eight. Um because I remember reading that when it came out, um which is from nineteen eighty three. And, uh, it was, I believe it's Chuck Patton's first pro pencil gig. No kidding. Uh, yeah. Inked by, uh, Rick Hoberg and, and written by, um, Mike W. Barr, but it's Batman teaming up with the Karate Kid. And this is, um, after Karate Kid's short lived ongoing, was it like up to 15 issues or something, but it's, Val Armour, the karate kid of the Legion of Superheroes, and he, uh, he comes from the, from his time to, um, to Gotham City to, um, actually no, he, he, um, he comes back to his old apartment, um, uh, in Manhattan to, to look for the, the girl he knew there, so he, he, uh, sneaks into the landlady's apartment, and um asks if he knows she knows where um where Iris moved to. Iris moved to Gotham and that's what is going to let Val and Batman team up because there's this whole um not quite Patty Hearst type thing, but there's uh there's there's a gang called the Black Heart and, and they're um hold down with the government type thing and uh a little bit of a mystery who done it, but I 
had a pretty cool Jim Aparo cover. I don't know why, out of all the issues of, of Brave and the Bull that I, I found again recently, I, I don't know why the hell I, it was, it was two issues before the last issue, because 200 was the last issue, and then the, uh, I believe it was the next month, but shortly after they kicked off Batman and the Outsiders, because that was, see, it's like, listen, it's the same thing when they canceled Marvel 2 and 1, because now we're going to have a thing comic. I, it's weird. That companies used to be, all right, we have this many Batman books. We'll take this one away so we can start this one instead of just, hey, let's have another fucking Batman book on the stands at the same time wow. with all these others. And it's just like, it's, it's, yeah, I, seriously. I just, it's, it's now what, I, I don't mean to interrupt you, but what year did you say this issue was? 1983. Well, you're still Bronze Age according to the the definition of uh, right, which is why I, I picked a couple of um, I grabbed a couple because I was I was reading I, I read this issue of Brave and the Bold and then I was like oh shit let me find that Manhunter story and while I was trying to find that that's when I found the um, the Secret Society of Supervillains because Manhunter's in that. But I'm like, no, I don't, I, I don't want to really read, I, I don't want us to go into a whole thing because we weren't going to read all, um, 15 issues because the last two were unpublished thanks to the implosion with the comics cavalcade. Um, so I don't want to go through, I didn't want to pick and choose issues. I just, I, I wanted to read an arc, a story. Um, that's why the Brave and the Bold really wouldn't work either. So I was just, so I mean, it, it all definitely worked out. But yeah, I, I was just, I was looking for something that was published between the early seventies to the uh, early to mid eighties. Right. A little bit of trivia. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. With what landmark series did Karate Kid cross over? Towards the end, I believe. Huh. Best series ever, but with with w- there was a, another DC book that uh, uh, Karate Kid crossed over with. Come on! You just said the best book ever. Best best series ever. Oh, it's, it, it. Wow. Couldn't have been the New Teen Titans. Well, they, it's like you don't you even gonna, know me. No, well, I, but he's, he's from the Legion of Superheroes, so why would he not cross over with that title? Commandy. Oh. Wow. Yep. Wow. Yeah, I think it was, I think it's at the very end of Commandy. In fact, it may even be the last issue. That the crossover in which the crossover takes place. Wow! So, so Karate Kid's a serious killer because Raven and Bold ended shortly after this. The um, <laughs> and and they fight the villain Pulsar, who apparently dies in this issue. And um, after he explodes, Val comes flying through a window, still with some. Uh, Flames attached to him, I guess, from from that explosion. Um, 
But he's he's cool because after he knocks the dude out, he's just standing there and all fine. But what what's awesome about this issue is the whole reason why Val came back, Val, Val traveled to his past, to our present, to find Iris, is because he wanted to invite Iris to his wedding to Jackie, and she oh. is fucking. Pissed, and he's he's completely clueless, um, and and she's just she she rails into him. You know, how, how do you think I could stand to see you married to someone else after the way I care for you? And she's like, and, and he's he's like, well, I, Iris, I I didn't think she's like, well, no, obviously you didn't. So you know, just 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 go, just go back home. And he is a and dude. Then, he is a dude. So he's she, she's like, I just think you better leave. So he goes, so he leaves, and there's Batman. Actual, <laughs> this is. And you know it's a different time. Batman's consoling Iris and says, this is the last thing you want to hear right now, miss, but you'll get over this. And she says, but right now, I I suppose you're right, but right now my my, my heart's about to break. So, And that was the end of the issue, but it's just... See, there's a difference between bronze Batman and current Batman be like, current Batman would probably be like, yeah, you had it coming, you dumbass. Look what you did. (laughs) But I'm looking at the cover... It's not uh, apparent in anything but Pulsar, but look at the sh- the, the shading techniques on Pulsar. It looks like Bruce Tim could have inked that. Yeah, you're right. I'm, I'm sure. Totally. I'm sure he didn't. But the, especially on the one leg, the inside shadows on the on, yep. the on the thigh, that looks a lot like Bruce Tim. Neat. And I, it's how the hell. Where's Batman swinging in from where he's got that much slack? I don't and, know. And, and that rope. And I'm going to destroy this damn chimney just to piss you off. <laughs> so I'm mad at it. <laughs> uh, but and I, I guess Pulsar and, and Karate Kid, are that that's a connection from his old series because yeah. apparently Pulsar told Val that he was going to go straight and um, and and give up this, this crime gig. Uh, but it turns out he didn't. Because in prison, uh, everybody he loved on the outside was killed, and and it was just this bad news for Pulsar. So he's like, "Fuck it! If if this Black Heart group wants to pay me to f some people up, that's what I'm going to do." Because like the Prowler, if you're going to have an ex-con, you got to make him black, right? <laughs> <It's> true. <laughs> it, well, it is the '80s. Yeah. I guess you know. <sighs> oh well, we've grown since then. All rounds up. Yeah. All right. That's it. That's a wrap on this, isn't it? It. I think it is. Yeah. More of this in the future. Time to travel. Should you deem this episode worthy. And um, I'm going to deem DCBService.com extremely worthy because yeah, they will are. provide you with the comics you want at a fraction of the cover price. Write these down from Boom. Clive Barker, Hellraiser Omnibus Trade Paperback Volume 1 for $19.99. Image has the low deluxe hardcover Volume 1 uh, at a special discount of $24.99. And the Mandrake the Magician Fred Frederick's Dailies hardcover Volume 1 is also massively discounted at $27.49. In your travels... Tell them what they should read in their travels, David, while I go find something. Oh, snap. Yeah. I did not prepare this because uh, I, I was running with the theme and I, I, I forgot to pick something out that they should read. 
Holy crap sticks. Um, all right. Well, uh, in your travels, um, there was something that, um, hmm. All right. I'm going to go with this little thing from, um, Dark Horse. It is a collection, um, that I wasn't aware of until uh, I got the email from Dark Horse. And I remember reading a couple of these issues here and there way back when, um, but I never really got fully into the character. But apparently Dark Horse has released a Mr. X, The Archives by Dean Motter and company uh, with a foreword by Warren Ellis. Uh, and you have art by the Los Bros Hernandez, uh, Paul Ravosh, you have, uh, Seth, Ty Templeton. There are if, basically some, um, some really cool, uh, indie artists from the, uh, from the, and I don't mean underground. I mean like the guys who were working for, uh, First Comics or, or Eclipse or Comico, yeah, places like that. Uh, short stories by Neil Gaiman. Dave McKean, Bill Sienkiewicz, Rob Eggleton. But this is, um, this collects, I want to say, um, probably, actually, I don't, I don't know if I can say it, it collects everything, but it is, um, it goes way, way, way back. Um, so if you haven't read any Mr. X, then you can, um, for shame. Yeah, you, you'll, you'll be able to rectify it with this. There, there seems to be some pretty, pretty wicked back matter. Um, I, I liked it a lot. I, I'm flipping through the, um, the review copy that, uh, that Dark Horse sent and it's, um, you know, it's, it's weird. It, it's, you know, I don't, how would you, I, Mr. X is kind of, um, it's, uh, he's, Sci-fi noir? Yeah, I mean, Motter says that, um, you know, he, he looked at the work of, um, of, from people like Shaken, who was doing American Flag at the time, and Sim, of course, with, uh, Cerebus Dave Stevens doing The Rocketeer, um, Frank Miller hit the scene with Ronan, uh, you had Kaluta and Lee with Starstruck, and, um, but this kind of feels, it's, it's basically set, in uh, the Art Deco world of uh, Metropolis from Fritz Lang. Oh, yeah, it's dripping with Fritz Lang. Yeah. yeah. Um, but there's, it, it's basically a, uh, it's kind of like a whodunit. I, I guess Mr. X is, I, I, I kind of like a private eye. Um, so you're hearing this from somebody who is not so well versed in, uh, in the character or its world. I just, I saw this and, and I figured this would be, really good time to uh understand who this character is and and what it's about i i'm sure some of it probably feel a little dated um but i mean you really can't go wrong with uh with some of this art and and the uh the coloring reproduction it looks you know it's it's sharp man i i dig it a lot so um i'm going with for this week my my new travels is not something that i can recommend because i've read it and can talk to you about it, but um, if you're not familiar with the character uh, in your travels, check this out. I always pictured Mr. X as uh, Richard O'Brien. 
from Rocky Horror. Oh, Rip, nice. Riff Raff, yeah. That's, he just, it just looks like him. Doesn't act like him, though. No. No. I remember a, um, a comics interview cover where, um, they were talking to, uh, Modder and, but the cover was Mr. X in the foreground and Logan Wolverine in the background lighting up a cigar, uh, saying what's with the cheaters prof and and that's that, that's one thing i remember because they mr x looks just like charles xavier with sunglasses on yeah he's a cool professor x who <laughs> <laughs> can walk he's not all stuffy and shit right messing up with kids what you got who are you talking to well who didn't go you didn't go because Jay- you didn't go look jason didn't go because jason <laughs> Goes after me, but I went. All right, I, you. I have. No, Dad screwed it all up by going first. Good. Oh! Well, the, he didn't screw it up. I screwed it up for him. Um, I have something, and this is a I no-brainer. So. Right, it's a no-brainer. Written and co-plotted by Mister Josh Bayer. Penciled and co-plotted by Benjamin Mara. Inks by Al Milgram. Rick Parker did the lettering. It's called, from All Time Comics, it's called Bullwhip, number one. Mm-hmm. Have y'all read this? Not as of yet. Time to do, though. Time traveling vampires. Mm-hmm. Okay. You have a uh, bad girl hero by the name of Bullwhip. We don't get an origin, but in the beginning of the issue, she's fighting a villain called the misogynist who amplifies... Is that, is that a synonym of misogynist? Or is that... <laughs> different word? I didn't want to say it. <laughs> oh, shit. I was letting him go. He was in the zone. I had, I had to get it in there. I know. I know. He was in the zone. I was like, I'm just going to bite my tongue. Yeah, go ahead. Who <laughs> Misogynist. <laughs> Who, who dicks, dick, 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 who amplifies his voice. He's got a, an audio system built in. They got a little microphone underneath his, his, his mouth and he just blathers out just nasty shit and his voice is amplified and that's his weapon, right? So she's, she's fighting him at a rock show when a time traveling vampire pops in. Boink. Uh, amid the, amidst the chaos, and uh, for wo- for what reason? Well, I don't want to spoil it all. I'm not going to spoil any of it, actually, because you should be reading this. And um, hilarity and hijinks ensue. And it's uh, specifically when uh, Josh said that when he got the inks back from Al Milgram, there's uh, there's a lot of dismem not a lot, but there's a a good amount of dismemberment. And, and gore in this issue. And he specifically asked Mr. Milgram to, to juice it up, get, get extreme. But it is another testament to the, the vision that Josh and, and, and Samuel Bayer have and, and Ben and with this, this line where you got a veteran like Al Milgram going toe to toe with Ben Mara on the visuals. And it is just the color will burn your eyes out. It is just amazing. 
Nice. And it's, again, it's not played tongue-in-cheek. You know, mm-hmm. this is just a love of, of superheroes. Um, there are other things in the mix. And um, Bullwhip, she's just a, she's just a bad girl. She she's uh, she's not uh, afraid to to play rough, and she's she goes into battle with obviously a bullwhip, but her costume is not conducive to fighting at all. She got thigh high leather boots and high heels, and she's you know very attractive. And there's there's some some lesbian overtones in the end, you know. So read this; it's just it's amazing stuff. This is. This, this, as far as single issues go, the the stuff from All Time Comics out of Fantagraphics are the things, are one of the only singles I'm buying. Float your boat. Yeah, and there's a parody of the Evil Knievel stunt cycle on the back page where it's Bullwhip's power cycle. It's optic powered, mm-hmm. and um, you can get Bullwhip's uh, allies and companions, which are obviously sold separately. Mm-hmm. And there's a little bit of Jim Rugg on the back page too. Well, oh, not not a, not a little, a lot. That's my spot. Yeah. Nice. Get it. In your travels, two things. One, we like to bring your attention to things that we fear will slip through the cracks. Otherwise, for example, what Vince just talked about. And I wanted to do that as well. So please make sure that you do what you need to to support this effort and go to your theaters and see this little thing called Guardians of the Galaxy 2. (laughs) Yes. Because it needs your help. It's only done 700 million bucks in its first two weeks. So it needs a push. But in all seriousness, Dap and I have seen it. It's phenomenal. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want to hear anybody say it wasn't. I was I I put on the the iFanboy review of it today, and three minutes in, had to turn it off. Really? Yep. Couldn't 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 take it. They were out of their minds. Clearly, mm. clearly, they've been sniffing too much glue. Um, it's the funniest Marvel movie by design. I fully acknowledge that for some people, cough cough, Daryl, that is reason <laughs> not to see it. I fully expect if you don't like the funny. If you don't like the cute, not for you. If things like Baby Groot and the dancing and the jokes are not what you want from a Marvel movie, this is not going to be your, your scene. So don't, so skip it. If, on the other hand, you truly enjoyed the first film and liked the, the humorous overtones and the high adventure, then this is a, a perfect follow up to that. Uh, now onto the comics. I, mentioned I guess five weeks ago now it's been Marvel's putting out they're doing the double shipping now so it's all these comics are coming out hot and heavy but uh, I, re- I quickly reviewed X-Men Gold X-Men Blue and Weapon X part of the mutant relaunch and said for to varying degrees I was enjoying each um, just wanted to shout out Weapon X because issue three came out today and my girl Domino finally made her appearance. She is part of the team. Uh, but it's been a getting the band together type of, of a start to the book. So first we got Old Man Logan. Then we got Sabretooth. And this week we get my girl Nina. So she is full, fully featured front and center, taking out the bat, taking out the villains, 
like a badass that she is. And if you don't buy this book, shame on you because it's Domino. So uh, definitely enjoying that. X-Men Gold was rough. It's a little awkward now that the Artie and Syaf stuff happened and we all know that he lost his job because I guess he had a few issues in the can. So this issue's mm. third issue is the second and third are also both by Syaf and so it's a bit it's a bit odd knowing what we know now, but uh, I would say that the third issue is very rushed. Homeboy did not feel like drawing the uh Blackbird or anything like that with any great detail. They're, they're just giant blobs of, of vehicular color on the page. Uh, but I do dig the story. I like the team a lot. I think Kitty, uh, Guggenheim's doing a nice job of, of, of having Kitty take, take the lead as, as the team leader in a very demonstrative way. It's great having Nightcrawler back to his old self his old costume back to being the happy-go-lucky elf that we know. I've always liked Rachel Gray, who's going back prestige now. And I would say that um, if you would have told me three years ago that Marvel was going to kill off Logan, leave him dead, and then replace him, quote-unquote, with old man Logan, I would probably smash my laptop. But thanks in no small part to... Jeff Lemire and others, including Mark now, I've come to fully embrace our new Logan because it feels kind of right to have him be an older statesman now. And one of the things that never bothered me, but I know bothered a lot of people with Logan was that he was too powerful, right? He his his healing power was seemingly godlike so that he could be disintegrated by Galactus and regenerate. And we don't have that anymore because old man Logan has a healing power, but it's nowhere near as powerful because he's getting old. So sure, it is a power per se, but, but he gets, if he gets, if he gets beaten up in battle, he's, he's gaffled. It takes him a long time to get back on his feet. So he's a more realistic character, I guess, at this point. And I think people are doing a great job with him. So I have fully come around on old man Logan as a permanent member of the Marvel universe. Nice. Mm-hmm. Cool. There's um something that I I, I did read. I don't want to. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of going back on minor travels there because I, I haven't caught up on Star Wars in a while on any of the the Star Wars books. So mm-hmm. um, they came out with something called the um, Screaming Citadel. Uh, it's a new mini series. First issue came out, and, and the reason why it caught my eye is uh, Karen Gillan is writing it, but the art is phenomenal, and by uh, Marco Cicchetto, and it looks oh, nice. stunning. But it's uh, basically the story is about Luke kind of, well, at least his first issue, teaming up with Dr. Afra. Um, so for Marco to draw her is. Um, not going to make me look away from the book. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, um, I don't know certain things that have gone on in the past year or so in the Star Wars book. So, uh, I don't know where exactly this falls in with, um, what, whatever Jason is writing or any of the other, um, Star Wars books, but, uh, it looks 
really, really good. So I'll, um, I'll probably read these five issues outside of, um, before I get back to everything else that, uh, Star Wars is, is doing. All right. I'm so lost on Star Wars. Oh, same here. That's why I was just like, I saw this and I saw Marco's name. I was like, fuck yeah. No, same here. Yeah. Gotta do some bulk reading. Oh, big time. Yeah. But I kind of got, uh, got a nice little semi Star Wars fix with Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. So there really is, there's a lot in there for, um, I think that movie hits, there's something in there for everybody, I think. You know, I mean, they, it, it was funny when Deadpool was being promoted. It's like, oh, you know, it's coming out for Valentine's Day and you can take your girl to it because it's really a love story. And, and yeah, that, that, that's funny and cute and you want to, you can say that it is. Um, but this, this movie, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 kind of hits all, all the beats. It, it hits every emotion, I think. You're going to, um, it's you're gonna get the feels. You're gonna get some pretty cool oh shit moments. Um, there's uh, and Kurt Russell's re- resurrecting himself as the badass follow-on character actor in all these franchises now. That's true. Now he's in Guardians. He's been in the last two last few Fast and the Furious films. Um, great job. And he's great as Mister Nobody. Mm-hmm. Did um, do you know who plays? Taserface? I found out yesterday. I do not. Excuse me. Toby from This Is Us. Oh, wow. <laughs> right? Okay. I, I was like, holy shit. Oh, nice. Um, and everybody- That's funny because Richard Christie, who's one of Howard Stern's employees, he's a writer on the show, does bits. He is friends with James Gunn, and he was the... Oh, he was one of the Reavers as well, the Ravagers as well. Uh, he was the bald-headed guy that had a few speaking parts. So, okay, interesting. Every, and there's, I mean, there are a lot of people in this movie, and and there are a lot of um, the credits go on for days, and that's, I mean, they go on for days even without the the five stingers at the end, which are all worth watching. Um, there's uh, there's some really cool moments. Everybody who who pretty much should be thanked uh, as far as creators who've worked on the Marvel comics in the past um, are thanked. It's, it really is. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun and I'll, um, I know my brother and his girls want to see it. So I'll probably be seeing it again soon. Excellent. So doesn't Vinny want to see it, Vince? So no, no, he doesn't. But Vince does. He doesn't care, but daddy, he doesn't. Yeah, Vince wants to see him. No, maybe tomorrow night. I don't know. We'll see. Nice. Got to see it before Alien Covenant because I'm going to be there first day. Oh, I'm going to be there for sure. Oh, yeah, I can see that too. That looks great. Okay. It surely does. All right, everybody. Hey, thank you for being here with us once again. If you enjoyed any of this, please leave us an iTunes review or a review somewhere else where you got this. Uh, come back. You can't make Dap mad or sad. This just, mm-hmm. that's just the thing. And as always, say goodnight. David. Ooh.
Good night. David. Wow, without a net. Smooth. It's like Boston brand. Yeah. A little early, I think, but... You know, you could think that. You could. (laughs) But knowing how your boo works, though, he'll make sure it's perfect. He'll he'll go in and edit. Oh, I'm the boo. Post-production. I'm the boo in the diss. But... (laughs) You know, normal times. No. Oh my god! That's all right. Lordy. That's okay. I get it. <laughs> Say good night. Say Lordy bye. Out, y'all. Call David. It? Call him. Oh, yeah, guys. I'm Renee Witterstatter is going to be at Heroes. Of course she is. Pass. Do the cock block. Ooh, do I keep that in? Magony. <laughs> <laughs> Ripping in the terror. Ripping in the terror.